All right, welcome to episode 13 of We Have Such Films to Show You, the podcast where we watch horror movies that are increasingly not the Hellraiser franchise, even though that's where we started. I give it another, I don't know, six, seven episodes before I stop mentioning Hellraiser before mentioning the stuff we're actually watching. Uh, but for now, I'm still having trouble letting go. Uh, I am your uh, host square shape, Josh Millard. With me is uh, host diamond shape, uh, Yakov Grinberg. Uh, I prefer rhombus American, thank you. <laughs> is it, I guess a rhombus is a, like a, a rhombus is a uh, parallelogram with all four sides the same, isn't it? So it is a diamond. I guess the question really becomes how you define diamond. Uh, brilliantly. Uh, oh. uh, I must say, you have a great facet for language. Uh, <laughs> good night, everybody. That's been the podcast. Uh, <laughs> the Phantasm. That's the film we're going to watch this. Well, we're, we are going to have had watched this week. Uh, and maybe you will have had watched it, too, or maybe not. If uh, Either way, we're going to talk about it. So, spoiler alert, as usual. I, I believe you just referred to it as the Phantasm. Did I? Yes. Well, it's it it is the only phantasm that has been made so far. They made a phantasm two and a three and a four, but there's only so far been one phantasm, as far as I know. There's been no reboot. Ergo, it is the phantasm. I'm just looking forward to you referring to the tall man as the phantasm. Oh yeah, yeah. At that time, we one of us referred to Pinhead as Hellraiser. <laughs> I was gonna say we should. What, what if there was like a fight between Phantasm and the Hellraiser? Who do you think would win? Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. He's he's the best. He'd win. Oh yeah, he's. I, Wait, I, no. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Elm. <laughs> yeah, Ted Elm Street. That's actually the the monster's name in that film is Ted Elm Street. Uh, they named the street after him. He was the first person who ever lived there. He moved in in 1953. Uh, he was a he was a real estate developer, is what I'm saying. It's actually a, a complicated parable about uh, the real estate market. Is what the it was Elm called street. Ted Elm Street Street, but then just like the Hollywood Land sign, oh, they like took that. off that last part for so it made more sense. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right, Phantasm. This is a mil- movie from uh, 1979. Mm-hmm. And, made uh, around 1977, so it's really just straight 70s. Yeah, it's extremely 70s. I haven't watched anything this 70s in a while. I, I kind of, you know what, looking at this movie, I kind of wish Hellraiser had started in the 70s instead of the 80s, just so we could have had some 70s, because yeah. uh, I feel like the closest we got was a couple of outfits people wore in some of the middle Hellraiser movies. Uh, like Didn't one of the movers have a, uh, in the first one, one of the movers, I think he had a uh, handlebar mustache, or not a handlebar, a uh, Fu Manchu, is that it? Did he? I don't know. I, I I feel like I remember more of like a Barry Gibb beard on one of them, but oh, not on a guy who yeah. looked anything like Barry Gibb. So, you know, uh, well, and Terry with an eye, I think in, in Hellraiser 3, I think one of Terry with an eye's outfits was this weird sort of disco bell bottom. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, 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 the romper thing. Yeah. Whatever. I think that's the one that she almost got murdered in and then became an acolyte of Pinhead in. It's yes. a shame that they didn't find some way to do like a Cenobite bell-bottom thing. Like, wouldn't that have been great if she'd been like, you know, Cenobite Dazzler, you know, gotten some roller skates too. And yeah, I don't know. I think that would have been pretty great. Maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe I just, maybe I'm just hung I mean, up on weird know, we, things we, that make other people uncomfortable when I go on at length it, about them. I don't know. It's, it's, how do you know? How do you say it's... It's funny you bring up Dazzler because the, the Dazzler, the disco superhero in Marvel Comics, was introduced in the year 1980. So oh, they might as well have been on, you know, Hellraiser, which was uh, only shortly thereafter. Yeah, it was like 87. That's a that's an important yeah. seven years there. 
a lot more uh, synth pop came out in the interim. That's true. Uh, <laughs> right, fantastic. So nineteen nineteen, like as you said, and this is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit of trivia. Maybe we'll jump off with, but uh, made in seventy seven, released in seventy nine. I think. Uh, and one of the recurring minor uh, antagonists of the film are what look for all you know intents and purposes to be Jawas <laughs> yep. from Star Wars. Uh, and I, I was I, I was telling you before we started recording uh, that uh, I didn't really have any time to do any reading on on the web about this, like I usually do with mm-hmm. the movies we watch, uh, because I just finally watched this last night. I literally went to the video store at eight o'clock, and that's a whole whole story I'll get into, but. Uh, as a result, I, I didn't read anything, but we did watch some extras because I went to the video store, and so I had an actual mm-hmm. DVD, and I was like, oh, yeah, they put extras on these things. And, uh, yeah, there's an interview with uh, one of the guys involved in uh, making the film uh, where he talks about the Jawa thing because they had been making this, and he says, you know, hey, yeah, we've been making this film, and we've been in production for a while, and someone was saying something about something coming out of this uh, – this the, this other movie that was being made, the Star Wars thing that, you know, we'd never mm-hmm. heard of. And at that point, nobody had ever heard of because whatever, it was still, you know, before Star Wars came out. Uh, but there's a, they brought us over production still uh, at lunch one day. And, and we were like, holy shit, uh, <laughs> these look uh, just like our guys. Uh, our dwarves look like their Jawas. And, uh, but it was too late to do anything and too late to change it. So they just sort of ran with it and... Uh, I, I, I have a feeling that the resemblance of Jawas is not the thing that crippled Phantasm's otherwise clear-cut shots at huge stardom. So we probably can't yeah. say that if Star Wars had failed, Phantasm would have been bigger. But uh, I'd like to think that someone who made Phantasm thinks that. <laughs> I mean, wh- which one of like the four people that made Phantasm? <laughs> it, did you um, did the did the version you have? Did it have the uh, l- the little intro by Angus Scrim, the guy who plays Tallman? No, it did not. Oh, because the the cut I have has like a you know just a really short intro of him like behind a desk, and he's hilarious. He 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 does it very seriously and earnestly, but you know like the movie, he you know he's funny on purpose. Yeah, and um, he's just like you know I spoke with uh, Don Corsi- uh, Cors- Coscarelli, Don Coscarelli, who wrote, directed, photographed, and edited this movie. I'm just like wow, this is it's like the it's like a one man band kind of thing with a uh, which is pretty impressive for a Coscarelli movie like this. Also, like, Coscarelli also had a, a kick drum on his his right foot and a, a hi-hat on his left foot so he was doing those while doing the rest of the things in the movie too this entire movie was shot in an accordion yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is this is i mean even considering all its flaws the fact that this movie was made by like a 25 year old guy and made and edited and shot and written and everything that's it's you know after finding that out, like I'm willing to cut the movie a lot more breaks. It's it it is yeah. It's it's interesting. It's a. Uh, I mean, I sure shit couldn't do that at 25. Like you know. And this was like their first feature. If I think I, it's his third, his third? but okay. his first that matters basically, because <laughs> because um, he worked with Angus Scrim and uh, Reggie, who plays Reggie uh, on some previous film of his that I didn't even look into because, you know. Why? Um, but it's not like we have a podcast about horror movies or anything. <laughs> well, and there was also Kenny and Co. was one of the same films, and maybe that was their second one. If this was their third, because yeah, uh, yeah, I think that uh, was it was like some screwball teen comedy sort of thing that I saw a trailer for it and it looked so bad. Uh, yeah, and you can abs- you you absolutely get like the seventies like uh, like raunchy teen sex comedy humor in this. Um, like there's there's a number of scenes where where it's clear that he he was definitely going for that and it actually worked you know it wasn't 
you know, it's not it's not Caddyshack, but it's you know, I, I could see this definitely being you know one of the one of those things you catch on TV at two o'clock on a Sunday that's severely edited for television. <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> I said, yeah, I I don't even know how you wouldn't. It feels like as much as anything, the problem with this film for television is they'd have to bleep a lot of the language because there's a lot of like, hey, yeah. no, we talk like real people do. We swear sort of thing, even though it's also still really hammy, still the dialogue. But there's like casual cursing. So, and it's also really 70s swearing like, you know, <laughs> that mother's strong. <laughs> is, you know, I, I don't actually know much about 70s slang. I don't know if you do either, but is mother just supposed to be short for motherfucker or is it like a completely different slang? I, term? I, I think they're in the same sort of general territory. Uh, but uh, I, I am not, I'm not really a student of the 70s slang, so I can't tell you either. My, my, my intuition is that it's yeah. kind of like, uh, yeah, you can sort of say mother where you might say motherfucker otherwise, uh, but don't want to say it. Uh, but it also probably had its own little valences and, and ins and outs. Right. Should we, we should probably go into the plot of this movie some. Uh, this movie is about the young Paul Atreides and Doug <laughs> Idaho getting into seriously? adventures. Oh my God. No, no, seriously, there is a seed in this that is, and the, okay, so this movie was made in 77, 78, and there's a, there's the, um, you know, uh, the, the box Gamjabar scene from Dune, they do it in this movie, and it's not even, you know, like, uh, like an accidental thing, like with the Jawas, it's, it's, just, they just straight up shot that scene from the book for no reason, no real reason that I could tell. Um, other than the fact that I bet somebody had read Dune and be like, hey guys, we should do this scene and it's really easy because all you need is a box. We'll talk about the box more, but yeah, sy- synopsize. We're, we're, um, getting, we're getting better at synopsising, I think. Synopsising? Yeah. Sy- synopsizing. Synopsizing. So yes. Um, oh, okay, yeah, so a, a brief synopsis. A There's two brothers and their parents are dead, an older brother and a younger brother, and the older brother's friend and or bandmate uh, gets murdered in a cemetery while screwing a ghost alien thing um, that appeared to him as an attractive young woman wearing all of her eyeshadow at once. <laughs> um, and then, so that leads off to a series of events where he finds this guy called the, the, the tall man who is the, I, be, I believe he's the undertaker and just like the general funeral home guy where they live. And it turns out that that guy is a supernatural evil guy who kills people and steals their bodies for nefarious purposes. Like you do. Yep. And the, the rest of the movie is just them <laughs> either running away or running to uh, wherever they think the tall man is to possibly kill him, but it, it's not really... The, the, their motives aren't always terribly clear. Um, it, 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 it is... It, the movie's a lot of fun, though. It's, I, I enjoyed watching it. I, I actually laughed at the parts that were supposed to be funny. Um, I, yeah, it's... I, 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 having seen it, I, I had to sort of cogitate for a while, but I, I definitely recommend it just like on principle because yeah it's it's fun it's it's a movie i would say like like i would characterize it as uh brimming with enthusiasm maybe to a fault at times because of the things that don't work that maybe they could have found a way to work if they'd said you know what maybe this great idea we had we should do differently but uh but it's yeah there's this constant sense that like the people making this movie 
really, really wanted to be making this movie and they were really enjoying making it and they just sort of went fucking whole hog, you know, within whatever their limited means were to accomplish uh, the the kind of ambitious storytelling vision that you can see peeking <laughs> around the cracks. Yeah, there's, um, and, and just about everybody on this, I think, was, was an amateur. Like, there's no, there's no professional, well, there was no actors who were, like, you know, established professional actors at the time, and I don't think anybody in the, the crew was particularly, uh, you know, established either. So this is, you know, this is, uh, like a straight up completely independent production, which um, is, is, is pretty great. Um, especially because of the job they did. Uh, the special effects were good. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised they pulled off that level of, uh, of special effects uh, with, with their budget. And then when I read about them, I was just like, Oh, that that's how they did it. And I was actually surprised and entertained by it. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. About, I mean, some, some of the effects are like, I guess straightforward as far as like you know horror movie effects go. I mean, there's some some geysering blood and some stabbing and some whatnot. And that's all whatever. Uh, it's nothing special. But uh, but the orb thing was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the uh, that's there's this uh, silver orb that attacks people and flies around. And and it seems like um, that has become as much as anything like the iconic bad guy of whatever yeah. the franchise was based on what I've seen. Like everybody, like the silver orb that flies around with hooks sticking out of it is your, is your, is your pinhead, as it were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, and it flies around and it goes around corners and it sticks into people's heads and drains them of blood. Um, and yeah, and I mean, it was all just like you know, when it goes around a corner, they used fishing line. When it when it flies towards the camera, it's actually some guy throwing it past the camera, and then they run the footage backwards and so <laughs> so. Um. Yeah, and uh, and the characters themselves are get, get pretty inventive. There's an entire like short scene where um, what the he- uh, what the hell is his name? Oh, uh, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> where Mike needs to escape from his room that his older brother Jody locked him in by shoving a screwdriver between the door and the wall. I'm not even sure how that's supposed to work. I think I think the idea is by jamming the screwdriver in, it becomes much harder to get the door to give. So it's sort of like a friction lock. But it, I okay. So here's, I feel like this is actually this is a really good scene to sort of sum up my my overall feelings of the film because it is a scene that is both sort of like what, Uh, you know, the the motivations and the decision making are all pretty questionable, but at the same time, uh, it's fun to watch them run with it. It's like it's it's almost like improv comedy as a straight face horror scene. You know, thing like 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 someone had to make up a solution to an absurd problem with weird constraints, and this is what they came up in 15 seconds, and then they filmed it. Because uh, yeah, he gets it, older brother Jody locks younger brother Mike in Mike's bedroom by sticking for his own a, safety. Yeah, for his own safety, by sticking a screwdriver in the in the door jam to I guess keep the door from opening because maybe there's no lock. Uh, Mike, younger brother, wants to get out because he wants to you know go help and see what's going on. And uh, he has a hammer, which there's a lingering shot of this hammer on his desk. And I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, you, uh, you take the hammer and you beat the fucking door in. Cause if you ever <laughs> try interior doors, unless you are living in a fortress, interior doors are really flimsy, lightweight things most of the time. And if you've got a hammer, you can get out. You just put a bunch of holes in the door or, you know, that's assuming that the hinges are on the outside instead of the inside. And you can't just straight up, you know, pull the door off its hinges. But anyway, so he takes the hammer and then attaches a, a, a thumbtack to 
the firing pin receptacle on a shotgun shell that he's carrying around because this kid is constantly carrying everything a 13 year old should not be carrying around <laughs> so he's got a shotgun shell he's got a thumbtack he, he he he's got a bowie knife he gets the thumbtack attached to the bottom of the the shotgun shell like at where the the firing pin on the 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 gun would strike it to cause the sh- shell to fire he then tapes this whole contraction to the head of the hammer he has and then he swings the hammer at the door, shotgun shell first. So the idea is the shotgun shell hits the door, stops, the weight of the hammer drives the thumbtack into the firing pin receptacle on the shell, and the shell discharges, uh, and then it blows a hole in the door. And then he reaches through the, the hole in the door, and he grabs the, the screwdriver, which somehow he knows where it is, even though he never saw it, and, and, and pulls it out. And okay, congratulations, you've pulled this off. But this feels like this should have been like the weird solution to the adventure game if you didn't figure out that you should just like use hammer on door. And so I applaud them for doing it because it's like wacky. And, you know, I'm sure for a lot of uh, kids, it was when I was like, wait, dad, can you do that? Can you just shoot a bullet with a hammer? It's like, well, there's a bullet. Because I remember having the same experience watching some completely different film where some kids fired a bullet using a, a vice grip and a and a nail and a, a hammer. But, uh, but yeah, so it, it, it's great. But at the same time, it's so like this, you spent three minutes of your film on this, this, this is a weird thing to do. This kid knows how to break a window. You know, he had, ah, so yeah, it's yeah. phantasm. It's the movie where you tape a shotgun shell to a thumbtack, to a hammer, to break down a door that you probably could have kicked through. That's that's kind of the conflict of weird writing and wonderful enthusiasm that uh, typifies this film. Yeah, the um, the the kid uh, Mike is just if if you told me that this movie was a prequel to like Mike's career as a secret agent, I would totally <laughs> believe you. He you know he can he can drive a car in a high speed chase. He can fix cars. He uh, he you know puts that thing together. He's proficient in any number of firearms apparently, um, and he has absolutely no fear of anything. And he could ride a dirt bike. I I want to see just more movies of him just getting into shit that doesn't even have to be supernatural at all. Like, you know, he foils the local mob. Seriously, I actually, I remember having that thought watching it, and I didn't, like, manage to figure out who it was, but it was like, this is like the young Indiana Jones of someone. Like, maybe it's the young MacGyver is what it is. In fact, okay, his name is Mike, but mm-hmm. then he grows up, uh, maybe gets called Mac as a nickname from his trucker buddies. Uh, but he's not a kid anymore. Now he's a guy. So he's Mac guy version, Mac uh, guy. Ver- ah, there we go. So there we go. That's, that's what the phantasm is. The phantasm. Uh, I'm just going to keep doing it apparently. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know what, speaking of, of, of firearms, the one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is, you know, like in a lot of other horror movies, the, the, the protagonists are, are never equipped for it. And if they are, they just, you know, don't even, they don't hang on to things and, you know, it was spoofed in a cabin in the woods when they like electrocuted the handle of the knife that she grabbed so that yeah. she'd drop it and not notice in this movie, you know, they, they have an armory at their disposal, basically. Like at one point when, uh, Mike decides to set off on his own to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, with the tall man, you see him like getting his equipment in his room and he, he has a big, big Bowie knife along with the requisite, um, what do you call it? Like calf strap for it. And, um, you know, they've got any number of guns in the house, including a handgun, a, a military issue handgun. Um, and 
Oh, and the cross. There was actually a, when he's, you know, sort of arming himself with all of his stuff, he's about to leave. And then he looks on his table and there's like this silver uh, cross on a, on a, on a chain. And he picks it up and you think he's going to like put it on for protection, but he just shoves it in his pocket. He's like, I'm saving this for later. I can only use this so many times. And, you know, I did, I did not even process that either. I, like, I, I vaguely remember him grabbing something necklacey, but I think I was, I, I must have been distracted or overwhelmed by something. I was like, <laughs> ah, I don't know what just happened there. Whatever, let's move on. And, and these two, the, the, the two brothers are rather skilled in guns. Like, at one point when um, Mike's sleeping on the staircase, like, cradling a pump-action shotgun... Uh, Jody comes down and like you know wakes him up but first he takes the gun out of his pocket and unloads every round in it in another he's uh, teaching Jody how I mean he's teaching uh, Mike you know how to shoot and he's just like you know don't aim at anything you don't intend to shoot don't shoot anything you don't intend to kill well, and this warning is... shots are bullshit <laughs> and, and the whole time Mike is just like wandering around the foreground aiming the gun at things and looking through the sight and right after that Jody just pulls out that uh, the Colt handgun and loads it and just you know puts it uh, puts it in his back. It was there, there's there's a lot of gunplay in it's this a, movie. It's a really weird casual relationship that they have with guns. While wow. okay, so yeah, this is the thing. Like there is that moment of like like thirty seconds of gun safety education. You know, really, really, really tiny, reductive sort of basic. You know, guns are for shooting at things that you intend to hit with a gun, which will probably kill them if they're people. So you know, make sure you're doing it on purpose, basically. Uh, but. But this whole time, Mike has apparently had unfettered access to the guns anyway, and apparently gotten good enough to use a gun with proficiency. So why is this just now the speech that his older brother is is thinking to give him? And again, this kid's like 13, and, and they live, I don't know, suburbia, I guess? Yeah, it looks maybe? like an idyllic suburb. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is not, yeah, this not, is not really a farmhouse thing, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's actually the, uh, the, the gun safety scene is actually pretty funny because... Um, Jody intends to go out and hunt the tall man. He's just like, you know, he turns to Mike. He's like, you're going to stay here. You'll be safe. I'm like, of course he'll be safe. He's in the confines of the armory. (laughs) There's like four more guns in there, all just hanging out and, you know, apparently more in the drawer. And the kid knows how to use them. (laughs) Should we uh, should we should we sort of like try and contextualize some of this by jumping to the twist ending? Um. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, the twist ending. Because I, I want to say that the, the, the film gets sort of weirder and crazier as it goes along, you know, in, in a fun, rollicking, okay, apparently this is and, happening and, in that and, sort of way. You know, before you bring that up, I just want to mention, the movie the, the movie is a really, like, events take place and the time is really weird on them. And the thing is that, that you know, there's, there's, a, there's a scene when... Um, Jody pulls up to the bar, the uh, Dunes Cantina, where he hangs out. Um, And then, you know, you see uh, Mike approach right after, and there's no cut, even though it's sort of implied that, you know, Mike probably wasn't either on his way there by himself and Jody didn't see him and pick him up. It's just sort of implied that Mike comes there sometime after, even though it's the exact same shot. And, I mean, that's because they just didn't uh, apparently uh, the the director would rent the camera equipment on Fridays so he could get two days of not having to pay for it out because he couldn't return <laughs> it till Monday so they had to be really economic with all the shooting and I think that like really helps the 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 really odd sense of time in this movie <laughs> that would uh, <laughs> that would explain a lot actually uh, yeah the, yeah there's a lot of a lot of strange editing a lot of uh, 
edits that just didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. And I, I guess that makes a little bit more sense if they were sort of producing it such weird fits and starts. Because, uh, yeah, just it, it, it flows in a very... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to oversell the validity of the shitty ending, uh, but it does flow in sort of a dreamlike fashion uh, that that feels like the the product of someone maybe not really knowing exactly what they're going to need in terms of coverage before they get to the point of actually editing the final film together, and so they have to just sort of make these not really super great decisions uh, just because okay, we're going from this scene, we're going to that scene, we got to get there somehow. We don't have any other way. Let's just cut right here, and we'll do that and. So yeah, it feels like something that almost like serves more than it should the uh, direction that they take the story. Because what happens at the very end, uh, and and anybody who's listened to me complain about this for the last twelve episodes will probably have a decent idea what happens. Uh, all this stuff happens. We get to the last five minutes of the film. Uh, Jody and Mike manage to work together to bury the the tall man in a mine shaft under some boulders and yay. And then we cut to Mike in bed where he wakes up and it was all just a dream. And apparently Jody actually died a week ago in a car accident, but Reggie is still alive, even though he died in the main narrative of the film and, Mm -hmm. and Reggie and Mike still got each other. And Reggie's like, Hey, you know what, Mike, why don't we let's, how about a change of scenery, man? Let's, let's hit the road. Let's go somewhere. We'll leave in the morning. Go get your stuff together. And Mike's like, all right, good humor, man. It goes upstairs and, goes to get his stuff together and he closes his closet door and there's a mirror on it and swinging into view in the mirror as the door closes is the tall man oh my god he's there and he says as he likes to do boy and then and then hands reach through the mirror from the far side and grab him haul haul mike into the darkness of the closet i guess and then roll credits boom so yeah they did a total fucking it's all just a dream shit and I hate that so much. I can't even tell you because it felt it felt like dumb and cheap. Basically, it felt like this is this is not a good out for accidentally ending your horror film on a happy note and needing a false ending. You know, it's like, uh. you know, I I'm gonna disagree with you on there just because the movie didn't really. No part of this movie wanted me to know anything outside of what's happening in this movie. Like, they, I, I wasn't wondering about, like, the tall man's origins or his powers outside of the fact that he's either from another planet or another dimension. Or, you know, I wasn't particularly concer- concerned about the fates of the protagonist and the antagonist. So the, the ending didn't really, didn't really bug me as much because I just... I, I was a lot more invested in the spectacle than the, um, than the actual plot. And, I mean, I think that's... Part of me feels like that that sort of was intended because first they cut an hour and a half off this movie after the after the test screening. <laughs> um, people felt a three hour movie of this was too long. I mean, you know, who'd have thunk it? Um, so it was just it was like the 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 sort of like dream logic to all of like the scenes taking place. Just you know that that. You know, I'm not that that may the, the ending, like the twist in the in the ending, may as well. You know, maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't happen. You know, maybe it's just like another thing that's going to lead off to another whole series of events. So I, I didn't feel like that was any sort of. I feel like the movie didn't really have an ending as much as the, it just had like sort of that that codas kind of thing, um, and there was no real ending to it. Well, sure, which I, I don't really mind. I don't know. I I, I mind a little. I I just. I don't know. Maybe this is just a personal bugaboo for me. Maybe I've just I've gotten to the point where I, I see 
the maddening it was all just a dream thing uh you know anywhere i look and so it's like yeah any sign of it sets me off more than it should is I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that that's a, every a morning you wake up piss the like, fuck off it. it was all a dream again <laughs> every fucking night curse <laughs> you Coscarelli. stay out of my dreams uh yeah but anyway yeah it's interesting to hear that they cut so much of it, although i guess it's not necessarily super I guess it's not so much that they it, weird that they cut so much of it so much as it's maybe weird that they got as far as a test screening with still using a three hour cut. But, uh, yeah. but I'd be curious to know more about how all that worked. So I, I, I said earlier, I, I watched this movie last night and what had happened was I, I was going to get around to it. I was going to get around to it. I knew it wasn't on Netflix cause I know you'd already looked. Um, and, uh, and I figured I would, uh, find it somewhere else online or uh, or rent it or something. And then you made that comment yesterday about how you found it on YouTube. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay, well, it's on YouTube. I'll just Google it later and watch it on YouTube. Uh, and 7 o'clock rolls around. <laughs> We've made dinner. We're saying, okay, let's, let's watch this. And I go and pull it. I could not fucking find it. I don't know where you found it, but maybe it went away in the interim, or maybe I'm bad at searching, or maybe they spelled it with I think it's because I was going through a VPN. Okay. From a different country, so is it the, the computer oh, so that I was in a different country? Maybe, maybe different search results because of mm-hmm. that. Ah, that could do it. Well, whatever, whatever it was, uh, I did not find it. I was like, damn it. And I went and looked, and uh, they don't have it on iTunes. They don't have it pretty much anywhere legit as far as I know. I think there's something weird going on specifically with the rights to the original film or something. Because yeah, because Phantasm 2 you everywhere. can find easily. Yeah, exactly. So, so somehow this bizarre film made in 1977 doesn't have clear standing rights or something. Uh, so I ended up, uh, there's a bunch of video stores in town still. There's a, there's a local chain called Videorama, um, which is a great name for a video store if you're going to bother to continue trying to have one. And, and I've never been into one because like, we don't watch that much stuff. And the stuff we do, overwhelmingly, we'll just sort of watch whatever's on Netflix. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to call them. And I called and said, hey, do you got uh, the original Phantasm, 1979? Um, that's the full title of the film, by the way. The original Phantasm. The original Phantasm the of 1979. Original, yes. um, everything else is just a shortening. Uh, it's like the, the Gold Diggers of 1933 series by Busby Berkeley. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Uh, so, uh, so, I, so I go, I, I call and it's like, do you have this? And they're like, oh man, I don't know if we do. Hold on a second. And I'm just already girding myself for disappointment. You know, he puts me down and then I, he comes back like a minute or two later. It's like, oh yeah, we totally got that. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll hold it for you. I'm like, fucking hey. And so it's like, now it's like 730. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to the video store. That was a good dinner that we just ate while watching some random stuff on YouTube instead. And uh, went down there and got it. And, and it, I haven't been in a video store in a few years because again, you know, it's like, why would we go to a video store? We just watch shit from the, the internet. Um, and it's, it was nice. It was actually nice. Cause it's also, it wasn't like going to a blockbuster. It was like, you know, this is a local chain. They're smallish. They're actually, they, sh- I think they're owned by the same people and share space with uh, a fitness chain, like West coast fitness or something like that in town. <laughs> so every video Rama is also a gym and vice versa. <laughs> um, so it's kind of weird to go in. It's like, I want to rent a video. I'd better go into West coast. Fit- okay. But, uh, went in and there's a, you know, couple people working behind the counter i'm like hey i called about phantasm the guy's like oh yeah well, let me go get it and i was like also i don't have an account because i never rent movies it's like oh okay we'll fill this out and i need an id and whatever and and uh 
and yeah, so we sort of BS'd a little bit. I kind of, I, I was filling out an account, and there was also these, these three other guys who were in there who were also like needing accounts or whatever. And so I, I was like this close to just like kibitzing about this film, but uh, but I didn't want to be like, oh, hey, you're very busy, arbitrarily enough, at this moment, eight o'clock at night. Why don't we have a conversation about something? So I just sort of like left it. But they had recommended, and this was so confusing to me, uh, the guy who got me the the, the video uh, recommended this, and then uh, the girl who checked me out uh, and finished that while he took care of the other guys recommended as well was John dies at the end. And yep, the thing is, same guy. I know, and this was a huge confusion for me because I was not quite hearing it. And you had now I understand why you suggested okay, uh, John dies at the end and Phantasm. Okay, it's the same. I had completely missed that connection. As far as I knew, they were completely unrelated films. I didn't know why we were in theory going to watch them together. Uh, and so they're saying to me, oh, yeah, this this guy's got a new film. Uh, John Dies the End. And I'm like, I don't I don't remember the name of the director of this. I guess it's John Dies the End. You know, <laughs> and so the guy says this two or three times. I'm like, oh, yeah, huh? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then the girl uh, who's checking me out, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy just made a new movie. You know, uh, uh, yeah, you should, it's really good. It's uh, John Dies the End. And I'm like, what? Oh, John Dies at the end and she's like yeah I was like oh no I, I thought it was like some Polish name and I didn't know who the director <laughs> but again they were busy so I felt I felt like I came off as like the really weird guy who's not making sense when instead I was just the guy who's really confused because they weren't making sense but they were actually making sense and I was actually just conf- it was it was a very authentic experience <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say I kind of I, 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 being confused in a video store yeah, yeah we need to we need to watch a couple more things that aren't available online so I can have an excuse to go back to video rap and uh, video rama i never say it like that yes well there's that's... this wonderful movie by christoph kislowski and john dies the end um that you could rent we just need to invent that that is now the that's the guy who made every made-up horror movie you know he's the guy who's directing hellraiser 10 is john dies the end <laughs> uh yeah it was, so yeah anyway that, i went to a video store and that's my that's my rambling story about that but it also means that i got home and watched it and and the thing had extras and that was also sort of dumb and exciting too and may, i've got the thing for five fucking days so maybe i'll uh maybe i'll watch the commentary track who knows uh but yeah i watched Who's the, the there's a commentary track wow i think there is i think there is I hope the entire thing is just Angus Scrim like saying "boy" every time uh, Mike's on the screen. Seriously, uh, that was a weird character, the tall man. That's, he's an odd guy. I mean, I, I appreciate that. That's kind of what you do is you have an odd character, and he's supposed to be like from another world. He's like a bureaucrat. The fact that he's called the tall man becomes that much more you know entertaining and ironic uh, once you know the whole scheme is that they're shortening dead people into dwarves because the gravity is too strong on their home planet for someone who's full size, I guess. So is the tall man, was he tall to begin with, or has he gotten taller since he came to uh-huh. Earth? Maybe the light gravity is like, oh, shit, I'm going to stretch out a little bit. I'm going to be... I'm gonna well, be the like heels he wears six. helps. Well, probably, yeah. And he does, he, he not only wears heels, you can hear him. Because yeah. there's, there's a couple of shots where it's just him and they isolate the sound of him walking and it's just like clump, clump, His, clump. his walking too. This is like, this is, I think my favorite detail about this character is this incidental thing that you only see in a couple scenes where he's got this real sort of weird, uh, like reservoir dog swagger. Yeah. Like he's, you can yeah, hear. If Earth, Wind and Fire was playing behind it, like as he's walking through the smoke, the movie would be completely different. All you had to do is change the soundtrack and you think, you know, this guy's about to kick some ass and sell some drugs. Seriously, yeah. Like his name is Mr. Boy. 
but uh um there's actually there's um and you know i i this it must this must have been like a, a sort of a gag shot where um you know like in horror movies uh you, you would see like you know the big villain of the movie like draped in smoke for whatever reason even if you know there's no logical reason for smoke to be there um or like mist or something so it's all spooky and foggy and in this one, that happens, except what happens is he stops in front of Reggie's ice cream truck and Reggie opens the back of the ice cream truck and all of the, you know, um, the air comes out and it's, it's cold. And so that's the mist that he's surrounded in. And it's pretty funny, especially because Reggie's unloading uh, ice cream in the foreground while the tall man is being all devious. Yeah, it really sucks some gravitas out of the scene to have yeah. Reggie there with his bald ponytail just moving around ice cream and yeah and, and that that becomes this big scene later on where it turns out that what he was doing was reacting negatively i guess to the steam because uh, the mike mike figures out that he can shoot the tall man with a fire extinguisher oh was that uh, was that was that scene in the cut you have that scene wasn't in the cut that i have i just read about it oh really okay yeah so mm-hmm. so there's at some point like i i don't know maybe the tall man was going to kill jody or something and and mike saw a fire extinguisher. Oh, you know, no, this is a, okay, that's right. I, I, I'm getting confused because I did watch a bunch of deleted scenes. So there is a deleted scene where they're down in the mausoleum and I think the tall man's uh, just about ready to kill Jody, probably got him up against a wall by the neck like they like to do in movies. And, uh, and Mike looking around is, as always, very you know, clever. Uh, he sees some glass he can break, which, you know, go for it. Uh, and he breaks it and because he, he pulls out, I saw some sort of red spherical looking thing. It turns out it was the top of a fire extinguisher and he pulls it out. And so we get a flashback uh, to that scene with the mist and Reggie and uh, the tall man looking all really looked to me like the tall man was like sniffing the air in a satisfied yeah. action. I was like, hmm, smells like spring and ice cream and murdering people. But but apparently he was supposed to be flinching because Mikey shoots him with a with a fire extinguisher and that totally, rawr, you know, uh, makes him explode, makes him fucking explode into a great big yellow mess that I guess he gets put back together again afterwards. And that would have added something to the film to make it clear that you weren't just successfully killing a thing when you did that. But, uh, wouldn't make it a whole lot clearer though. This film, I don't think I'd be really curious to see the like three hour cut, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what would happen with it. I think um, some of it is just ended up as, you know, like deleted scenes and stuff. And I think a bunch of it is lost. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Maybe it'll turn up somewhere. Maybe somewhere in Ethiopia with a bunch of Doctor Who footage as the rumor was going around today. <laughs> Yet again, that they've finally found all those destroyed archives. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, oh, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a weird little thing. That's a, a the fire extinguisher thing. Um, this is one of those like, you know, I am too young for this actually to make sense in context. Cause I remember that happening in, in the blob too, back with Steve McQueen, Yeah, that's you mm-hmm. know, using the fire extinguisher to, to freak out the blob. And these days, if you just shoot someone with a fire extinguisher, they're not going to get cold. They're just going to get fucking sick because it's like, uh, you know, a chemical fire retardant instead of, right. uh, you know, a, a CO2 based thing or whatever uh, they used to be. So it's one of the many things that places this somewhere in the in the seventies, or maybe they were already using chemical things in the seventies and, and Don Coscarelli didn't find out or something and <laughs> just sort of ran. was like, cause he saw the blob as a kid. He's like, Oh yeah, use the fire extinguisher to cool something down. Sweet. Mm. Oh, hang on. They're all going to put on their asbestos socks and walk through the fire. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, grab the radon. <laughs> now, we talked um, about seventies, but like, like, like for much this of is the, the early earliest part of the film, film we've done so far, it is We're we'll, eventually yeah. we'll, we'll get back to Nosferatu. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> 
but yeah it was it was very uh, it, like the the bell bottom like navy pinstripe suit that uh was that pinstripes it had thin yeah it was a, it was a pinstripe suit with like flares and oh the uh there's a scene where jody just like talks to one of the neighbors at their parents house and the guy is wearing like a canary yellow sweater and under it he's got a jean like a blue jean shirt with an enormous set of like lapels on the collar that are sticking out of it and i just i could not concentrate on anything in that scene except this guy's <laughs> outfit because what the hell is he wearing he also seemed like kind of a prick too i mean he was like yeah. I, I don't know if he was a neighbor or maybe he was like someone else who had been in town for the funeral or something cuz he was, it felt like he was kind of giving jody a hard time for not having bailed on town so if he's right. still in town too i, I my, so I'm going to go back to my feeling that he was like a visitor or something like they were catching up old times or something. Cause he was in town for the, the funeral for poor dead Tommy. That's right. Uh, oh, and, 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 then, um, and Jody in that scene actually says, I don't get off on funerals, man. Yeah. That which was, was a very seventies you know, line. His whole, like the, like the intonation in his voice was just, I haven't heard that kind of acting since like the seventies. And I've heard it in a lot of seventies movies where it's sort of like kind of a stone drawl, but not really. And, um, you know, just the, uh, the there's just something about the, the way that um, J- uh, the guy plays Jody and toned all his lines that was just really odd um, because it's 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 sort of lost. It's like you know those old um, that old like theatrical stage accent that you saw in early movies that people don't do anymore, except for um, Julianne Moore and the Big Lebowski. <laughs> that it, it, it was that kind of thing. Um, oh, here's the thing. Oh, about that twist ending. So in in the twist ending, Reggie, you know, who's alive, you know, turns to. Uh, turns to turns to Mike and he's just like, you know, let's blow town for a while. You know, we'll go on the road and it's supposed to be like this whole, it's like, you know, let's forget our troubles and, uh, you know, go ride. But in a much earlier scene, um, Reggie refers to having to drop off his kids in summer school. So I'm wondering, is, is Reggie just looking for an excuse to ditch his entire family? <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> And steal this 13-year-old. He has no legal right to, like, mind. Be like, well, everybody you know died. Uh, let's leave. And bye, family. I, I really kind of... I feel like the film was very uh, all over the place in terms of, of people's responsibilities, too, or, or, or their perceived responsibilities. And this might be part of what came with the cut, is they may have sort of cut the other movie where the characters had different lives out of the movie to make it less confusing. Because yeah. another thing in the deleted scenes... Uh, there, there's a sort of makeout and very double entendre scene between uh, Jody and his girlfriend, um, where he's he drops by the bank for some reason, and it's not clear what he's doing at the bank. He's wearing his suit, I guess. Maybe I don't know. He has is, a girlfriend. I don't think he yeah, had a girlfriend. I know. The cut that I saw. That's the thing. Well, and there's yeah, there's there's a brief reference. Uh, there's a couple of things. Okay, I get. Let me just talk about the deleted scenes because it adds a bunch to the film. Uh, first of all, there's more guitar playing uh, in a shitty hat by by Jody sitting around strumming his his Stratocaster, wearing that bowler that looks terrible on him because uh, there wasn't enough random guitar playing in the movie as is. They needed to throw some more into these deleted scenes. Uh, there's an extended scene where Jody and Reggie get Mike just super drunk on Dos Equis. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 clearly Dos Equis and, and Angela was saying as we were watching this last night that there's like a screenshot at one point where you could just like take this and turn that into a Dos Equis commercial. I was like, I don't always play guitar while wearing a good humor man outfit, but when I do, 
so yeah, they I get, don't always get thirteen-year-olds yeah. drunk. <laughs> they get they get like super drunk on Dos Equis, which they never call it Dos Equis. They Everybody keeps that Mexican beer is what they keep calling it. Uh, so they get him real drunk. They like feed him like a half gallon of beer, uh, and this is a skinny fucking little thirteen-year-old kid too. He had to be. And then they go down to the ice cream shop, Reggie's ice cream shop. So Reggie doesn't just drive a van around. He owns his own storefront, too, apparently. And one of their their girlfriends or something, I'm not sure, one of the girls... There are so many identical blonde women in this movie. Yeah, and they've all got that hair. They've all got the big old... There's a lot of hair in this movie. Everybody's got a lot of hair except for poor Reggie. Uh <laughs> So, so they go down to Reggie's ice cream shop where this blonde girl is working and then they have a, a, a and where Reggie is sitting. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I guess maybe it was just Jody who was getting Mikey drunk and then they get in their big old muscle car and they drive drunk to the ice cream shop where the girl's working behind the counter. Nobody is in there buying anything. And Reggie is sitting at a small stage with a microphone with his guitar in his good humor man outfit, just sitting there getting ready to, I don't know, play for nobody. In case anybody comes in, he'll be ready to put on a uh, singer-songwriter uh, performance while wearing a white suit and a bow tie. And it's the weirdest thing. They come in. He plays a little bit of music, and then uh, and then uh, Mike throws a, a, a scoop of ice cream at his guitar, and then they get in an ice cream fight. And then we cut to uh, Mike is completely passed out, and they have decorated him with like fifty dollars of ice cream. They just like built a giant sundae on his passed out thirteen year old drunk chest, and like put an ice cream cone on his nose, and and they're just like these three adults, I guess, are just having a great old time. To do it. Uh, it's and then <laughs> and then <laughs> seriously, I find the deleted scenes for this film. I, they they are something else. But there's a, there's a reference in that whole thing early on in that scene where I think Jody says, "Hey, I'm dating the wrong sister, or I'm dating the wrong girl, or something." And so, <laughs> and then the next deleted scene, he's at the bank. I don't know why. In I guess his funeral suit, smoking a cigar, sitting in an executive's chair, and there's a girl in there, and she's clearly his girlfriend. Uh, and it's not clear whose office this is or why he's in it or who they know. Maybe it's her boss's office and she's a secretary. Maybe her dad works there and she was visiting, but then her dad went to the bathroom. I don't really know. But anyway, Mike's sitting there smoking a cigar. She sits on top of him. They make some jokes about, blah, I think I'll make a small deposit and so on. And then it's implied uh. that they, <laughs> yeah, and they're making on it's implied that they proceed to have sex, but they, they, they cut at that point. So he definitely had an active uh, you know, uh, established a se sexual relationship with this girl that doesn't appear anywhere in the film except for I think when I think it's her and the other girl from the ice cream shop are the two girls in the VW bug that gets attacked that uh, Mikey then escapes from the back window by kicking out and abandoning them. They're the them. worst babysitters. They are, just yeah. really the worst babysitters. So I think that's who they are. But then there's the scene where Jody just like within like 30 seconds of sitting down next to a strange woman at a bar goes off into the graveyard to fuck her. And I realize, you know, it's like different mores and whatnot. And, you know, he's who he is and whatnot. But, uh, it felt really like maybe they cut the girlfriend scene out because everybody was like, wait, but what about his girl? What, what the fuck? That's just what, you know, the whole thing was odd. And, and so yes, the double, the, the, the deleted features see them. <laughs> 
Oh, you know, uh, th- it was actually a really funny thing about speaking of sex in this movie. The the opening scene is uh, their friend Tommy. His name Tommy, I think. Uh, yeah, let's yeah go with Tommy. 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 Um, so he's getting laid behind like a grave, and it's you know this shot where you see like his like feet and like legs entwined with hers, and then you see the shot of them actually screwing. You see him like laying back um, on the ground, and you see him, uh, you see her sort of just like sitting on top of him because eventually she stabs him while yeah. covering one breast. Um, that I have no idea why, but but the thing is there's a cut before while she's like sitting on him back to their legs where their legs are entwined again that's not a position a person can be in yeah no it was, it was they, they really seem to shoot two different uh, sexual positions in in two different shots there and then intercut which is yeah problematic because anybody who can do a, a reverse cowgirl while also like or, or or i guess it was a i guess it was a straightforward cowgirl while uh while having their legs parallel to the ground like that, you should be worried about something going wrong already because they are some sort of weird snake person that, uh, yeah, something has gone terribly wrong. But uh, Maybe that's actually the true form of the tall man. He's a naga. Ah, that could be. Because like, like half the times we see this lady, this, this seductress lady who wants to stoop in the graveyard, we get a, a, a shot. She kills a guy that she's on top of. And then we get a shot of her face and then a cut to the tall man and then a cut back to her. So like she is the tall man or a manifestation of the tall man or something, which was sort of not super clear, but hey, whatever. So yeah, the the, the tall man is a Naga from another planet. There There you go. We've, We've solved it. They never need to make any sequels now because the mysteries are all gone. Uh, There's, um, so, oh, so the, the way that Tommy dies is that she pulls out like this big silver knife and stabs him in the chest repeatedly. And she also has this knife later when she's, uh, wait, does she have the knife later? Yeah, no, she, 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 yeah. she has the knife throughout. Yeah. So basically what the cops must have found was a guy with his pants down and his underpants down in a graveyard behind a gravestone <laughs> with multiple stab wounds in his chest. The first conversation in this movie is between Reggie and Jody saying, yeah, man, I heard Tommy went. It was suicide. It's like, really? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, clear that's like cut. some ace police work. That's a clear cut suicide. It's like, well, we... We found the Vic with uh, with his pants and uh, his pants and underpants down. And it was a sign of uh, recent sexual intercourse. So what I think happened was afterward he was so despondent he repeatedly stabbed himself in the chest and then threw the knife really far away. It was clearly autoerotic stabination, is what it was. It's like uh, I'd like to think there's a, plur- pl- a proliferation of uh, police procedurals on television has. Is, it has made it a good thing for any time there's a murder scene in a movie just because it's like, well, hopefully whoever watched this is like everybody else and has seen 3,000 episodes of Law and & Order and can at least be like, well, hmm, murder weapon. That should probably be around here at least. <laughs> yeah, that was... I Also, speaking of dead Tommy, uh, he looks terrible in his open <laughs> coffin. And you know what? Yeah. That's... That's just a shitty, like, mortician is what that is. I mean, I, I kind of want to just, like, show this scene to, to Cold Chef and say, your professional opinion, sir, tell me just how terrible does someone have to be to put that on display? Because, like, it's not like a dead person doesn't need to necessarily look like, you know, uh, a cover model or anything, but she should probably put some foundation on or something. Like, just, just aim for skin tone, I think, is maybe the traditional first step. Instead, he's like this pallid ghoul yeah. with dark rings under his eyes and pasty. Uh, 
it was kind and of you know what my my hats off to the makeup people because at least they follow direction and be like well, all right sure. we got to make this guy look dead it's like all right we can do that <laughs> no problem it's like shit did anybody has anybody here actually been to an open casket funeral no okay they, maybe they just shot that scene the same day that they shot the tommy as a dwarf revelation scene and they they have substantially the same base makeup so they just did the the, the funeral shot and then they went and did that instead and, yeah, he uh, looks like one of those uh, mutants from uh what is it the omega man i think I've never seen Omega Man. Um, it was that. That's yeah. Maybe we should do that movie. Maybe, maybe. I, yeah. I can always watch some Chuck Heston. Um, I'm trying to think of a. Uh, there's a there's a, there's a nice little bit of uh, I think what was like establishing. Uh, let's call it Chekhov's picket fence jump. <laughs> Uh, so, so it's established in the film that whenever Jody goes somewhere, Mike tends to follow him because Mike's 13 year old and Jody's his big brother and his parents are dead and he apparently has no friends and he lives in suburbia. So why not? Okay, sure. Uh, so uh, Michael just go tearing off after Jody when Jody goes somewhere. And so we get a shot of Jody, I think, driving off and Mike chasing he's not down the driving, sidewalk. He's on his bicycle. Oh, he's on his bicycle. And, and, and Mike he has a car. They, <laughs> one of them has a motorbike and he takes his bicycle. Yeah, he wants some exercise. You know, you got to stay in good shape for your... Uh, hair i don't i don't even know for your girlfriends and your random hookups so mike comes chasing after him from like a block behind and we get a shot of him like just doing a clear nice clean hurdle of a a picket fence and then right near the end of the film they kill or do they the tall man by mikey running and jumping over an open mine shaft and the the tall man not realizing that it was an open mine shaft and falling to his apparent minor inconvenience in a dream but anyway it's a nice little bit of like uh, okay here's a thing and here's a thing later but uh but at the same time i feel like i'm stretching a little bit to try and praise that rather than just make it feel like (laughs) someone you know read about filmmaking and put that in there because that's how you you know make a film is you have them jump earlier and then you have them jump later and you you just described the entire film technique of the machinist starring christian bale (laughs) which i've seen that movie i want to see that sometime uh, um, I like Christian oh, Bale. So I have, I, have a, I have a theory about this movie. So if you haven't seen it, listener, um, Mike is gender indistinct. If you told me that was a 13-year-old girl, I'd be like, yeah, sure, what the hell, why not? Um, just like, you know, his voice hasn't changed. He's got long hair. He's thin and spindly. Um, and, you know, he's just very fresh-faced. So I... I think there might be another a way to cut this movie where instead of being his little brother, uh, Mike is in fact like some neighborhood girl who's you know maybe a little closer to uh, to Jody's age, but you know is still just like small and kind of like boyish, um, and she stalks him everywhere because she's in love with him, and the entire movie is just this romantic comedy because otherwise Mike's behavior were he not the guy's little brother or you know a somebody in a romantic comedy would be incredibly creepy. This kid <laughs> follows Jody around everywhere to a funeral, to like a late night uh, hookup. And, and it's like the stalking kind of following around. Cause at one point, um, what is it? Yeah. When, uh, when, when Jody gets picked up by, you know, the, the lady tall man, um, Mike has been spying on him in there for God knows how many hours because he shows up there when it's light and leaves when it's dark. Yeah. Um, and he's just been staring at Jody through this window. So it's, it's, it's for, kind of I'm problematic just saying for the you first half of this movie, the, the creepy antagonist who is like stalking the main character is Mike. He's, you know, he's always in the bushes. He's always a couple of feet behind, always watching. Um, 
And, you know, it's only the fact that he's just constantly getting into trouble that 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 sort of uh, makes the whole stocky to be like, well, at least, you know, Jody knows he's somewhat nearby, I guess. Um, and there's a very there's a very like 70s like sex comedy scene where um, so uh, Jody and and Lady, the, the, the blonde uh, Naga lady um, are making out like literally on top of a grave. Um, and in the meanwhile, uh, Mike's spying on them in the bushes, uh, and he encounters, I, I, what was it, like a dog or something? It was like some sort of I dog. Think, I think it was a Jawa. It was a Jawa. Was it a Jawa? But it was too dark to see, and so he didn't, like, they hadn't figured out that those things existed yet, per se. Uh, right. But I think it was. I think it was being yeah. sort of bothered by a Jawa in the woods, as it <laughs> so were. So he tears the ass across the, uh, across uh, the, what do, you, what do you call it, the, uh, the cemetery, Passing by Mike and his date, and then after he's out of the shot, Mike looks up and he's got like her underpants in his mouth. He's like, "Hey, I think that was my little brother," and he's saying all this through the underpants. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, "I better go find out what the hell just happened," and he just walks away. And I, the, the timing on that was great. And he walks it away. Was, uh, I think he still has the panties in his mouth even as he gets up and leaves. <laughs> like at some point, he clearly gets rid of them, but not before he delivers like four lines. Gets up, pulls up his pants, and runs off. Uh, I'd like to see the, the the rest of the scene where, like, right before he starts talking to Mike, Mike's just like making like a waving motion at his face, like you would if some there's like a crumb in their beard, but you don't want to say it. He's just like, it's like, Jody, what, Jody, do I got, have something got, over here? Some, over some... here? No. Oh, and then he pulls the panties out of his mouth. He's like, oh, got it. Um, yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that deleted scene. <laughs> yeah, it, that was. <laughs> also, I want to say uh, the kid Mike. Not only does he look weirdly androgynous, but he also looks really weirdly like Nancy Carell. Uh, I don't know who that is. A.K.A. Nancy Walls, A.K.A. a lady who was on Saturday Night Live for a couple years in the 90s. And it's just the entire film, I could not stop seeing this thing. You know, it's not, it's not literally impossible that she's just a little bit older than I thought she was and that this was her, you know, debut film as a, a, a boy. Uh, it's like a C-A-R-E. E L L like she's married Steve Carell hence she used to be Nancy Walls, uh, but yeah it's uh, we'll we'll put up a side by side because it's weird it's it's just like <laughs> I could not like the entire film I was like oh weird it's it's Nancy Walls what's going on, uh, but yeah yes to all that stuff you said <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a scene later on the movie where uh, Jody has to like comfort Mike and he just sort of pulls Mike into his lap and if at that scene you know this was the romantic comedy version of this they would kiss in that scene and that would be like the perfect fucking kiss scene for a romantic comedy but instead it's just kind of moderately creepy yeah this, uh, this really runs well thematically from the weird uh, pedophile vibes in Prophecy uh, yeah last episode like there'd just be a whole supercut of inappropriate, weird moments in films that we've reviewed. Um, uh, it was uh, oh, so the scene. Um, I, th- this was actually really well done. The scene where um, Mike freaks out is he's spying on his brother at the funeral, um, at uh, Tommy's funeral, and then at, at the end he's spying on the tall man who picks up the entire casket by himself and like puts it into the uh, puts it into the hearse and that's what sort of sets off like most of the like supernatural events of this Something movie weird is going on up there 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That was the, the first two acts. Yeah, and I think that was a, that was a pretty cool shot because, like, you know, they they didn't have much of a budget for this. It's like, so how are we going to make him creepy? It's like, well, you know, let's have him lift up a coffin all by himself. And apparently, it was made out of balsa wood and pulled by a rope in the back. That would do it. Uh, which is how they did that. Yeah, it, it managed to look pretty awkward on film, which I guess it appropriately should be for a yeah. super heavy thing. But uh, yeah, because even if you're super strong, you still got to get your arms around it and lift it, and there's a center of gravity. So yeah. it's not yeah. going to be. I agree. That it was a nice way to establish uh, the the sense of weird menace. Uh, it felt sort of schlocky and I don't know awkward to me as shot, but but hey, it does the job, which was kind of the idea. And a lot of stuff in this film just sort of did the job, which I, I guess I can give full credit for. You know, I want to say right at the end of the panty in the mouth scene with uh, Jody and Mike, uh, Jody's like, "Okay, well, you know what? Go home." Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, go home. I'll, I'll see you later. And he gives him some keys. And I want to know what key did Mike not have that Jody knew Mike didn't have that Mike would need to get into the house. Cause if it's the house key, then Mike's been locked out of the house this whole time. And Jody's <laughs> known it and it wasn't an issue, but now he thinks he should go home. Was it the car key? And Jody's saying, Hey, I drove here, but you are a 13 year old. You should, uh, we aren't even drunk this time. So you should drive home in my car that you didn't get here in is it was just it feels like maybe another thing that would have made sense if there was another 15 minutes of setup somewhere but uh it was just so wow between that and the oh man it reminds me it reminds me of the cops the two cops in hellraiser five six five maybe five and it, the, the one with the crooked detective yeah that's uh that's five. Oh wait no, no, maybe wait. it wasn't the crooked detective maybe it was six maybe it's the one with duffy uh, anyway, okay. the, the guy the guy who played uh, um, uh, Dr. Giggles was the older of the two cops that were the antagonists, sort of, for part of that film. And he's insisting that he's going to drive the car, and, the other, and he's insisting this by telling the other guy, you know, that he's going to drive, not the other guy. But the other guy has walked up. It was something like the other guy had walked up to the passenger side of the car but had the keys, and the detective's like, hey, I'm going to drive. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe the detective walked to the passenger side and then objected to not being driving. Either way, it didn't make sense. It was one of those things where it's like, there's just a little bit of patter that adds a little bit of character realism, except for when you also introduce this bizarre enigma and it's you know you're you're sort of one step forward five steps back there because you managed to completely haul anybody paying attention out of the film by trying to add just a little bit of immersive naturalistic dialogue or you know buddy interchange so reminded me of that i guess is my my thesis there also okay so uh the dream sequence ending this is part of why it annoys me that the the film did a oh but it was all just a dream because there's some really conspicuous dream sequences in the body of the film. Yes. Like at one point, like uh, right after the scene we were just talking about with the here, take this key that you need for some reason, uh, we get Mike having some dream. It's uh, obviously it's gotta be a dream because he's in his bed, but his bed is in the graveyard and the tall man is standing over the bed, sort of posing dramatically. And then uh, zombies burst out of the ground and start grabbing him while he screams. So we jump, we jump into that scene abruptly and then we just jump out of that scene abruptly you know it's got to be it's got to be a dream unless we're going to credit this film with being some sort of impressionistic you know uh masterpiece hiding under the you know guise of mostly 90% uh you know straightforward narrative mess of a horror film uh clearly a dream so if this is a dream he had a dream during the dream that he woke up from and then there's another one later on and then he wakes up from all of that and it was all just i uh, see that's it, it makes it harder for me to 
Inception. The countenance. Yeah, I know. Seriously, there were no wombs anywhere in the soundtrack. So, <laughs> yeah, there was um, the, uh, the the dream sequences. Did you notice there was actually a really quick thing? The the first dream sequence that uh, Mike has those two posts that are in the like other dimension room are in the dream. I did not notice that. Yeah, the. Um, yeah, the tall man is hanging on to them. It actually reminded me of a scene from um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, where uh, there's also like a set of like, you know, arm high posts where the characters like touch them and suddenly they're stuck to them. And uh, the aliens are just like, you know, the poles are magnetic. And I think, you know, one of the robots <laughs> says, which would work if your hands were made of metal. <laughs> um, and it had like a similar sort of thing. They had this weird portal that had numerous ways of working. Um, yeah, the, the, so there's this room in the uh, in in the the was it mortuary? Is that is that the name of the building? Uh, Funeral the, home, the, the mausoleum. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah. A, it's combination like yeah. graveyard, mausoleum, mm-hmm. funeral home, I guess. And it's it's this room, and above it, it's got like faces of the Greek pantheon. So I, I you know, you think that's where the 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 the, the people still worshiping Greek gods are interred, I guess. But apparently, well, one there's a character, and it's never explained who this character is. Just, and it's yet another uh, young blonde girl where she wanders into that room and there's a scream and that's it. So we know that the room kills people somehow, but we don't know who that was or what they died. I thought that had. was the, 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 the spacey hippie granddaughter of the old fortune teller was my guess. Why would she be there? I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not super convinced that that's the case, but that was my impression. It looked like the same actress to me. Uh, they, they shot her in profile when we could see her face at all. Uh, and it was and profile to the side that didn't have the star on her cheek. So. Yeah, exactly. The, the character's got like a tattoo or a birthmark or something shaped like a star. So you think you'd include that in the shot, yeah. in the only shot where you're, you're using this person again. Um, but anyway, so what it turns out that this room has in it is a bunch of uh, canisters, which they use to smuggle the dwarves they make. And there's two types of canisters, which was weird. Um, <laughs> well, I was, I was telling Angela, I think it's just it, it can be hard to source parts from another dimension. Uh, so, you know, you, can't, you have to just put up with vendor issues sometimes. Yeah, they <laughs> It's like, well, we got a bunch of the five seven Bs. Uh, they're the same height, right? Yeah. All right. Whatever. Just stack. They'll them fit up. on the pallet. It'll work. Yeah. You know. So and so the portal is it's it's these two like um, you know those things that hold like velvet ropes in, in museums and stuff. It's two of those. Yeah, like three uh, foot tall, height. silvery, uh, three inch diameter yeah. cylinders, basically. And if you go in under the cylinders, it's never shown what happens when you go above the cylinders. But if you like sort of crouch in and go in there it's a portal to in the middle of the sky in another dimension which makes me think that they're like you know rolling these things in and they're dropping down so i guess you think they'd make their portal in a slightly more accessible place because clearly they built the thing you know it's not like a naturally occurring wormhole or anything they they that was a conscious decision to make this thing in the middle of the sky um, and it's also, it, and also if you put, if you, and by I mean you, I mean anybody, cause clearly anybody can trigger this thing, puts their hands on top of it. It turns into some sort of vacuum that I guess sucks in everything in the room somehow, which seems like a dangerous and unnecessary feature. It seems like really bad design. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe, n- the, none m- of maybe, maybe the dwarves don't have that much, uh, of a wingspan so they can just never accidentally do it. And the tall man, he knows what he's doing. He didn't get that tall without being a smart fellow. So, uh, so yeah, maybe they just always kind of designed around like, Hey, okay, first, f- first, first day training, we're going to work on not touching both the poles at once. <laughs> 
anybody who screws that up, they get just laid off without any second chance. There's like, nope, now we've got to warp a whole new mausoleum back to that planet. Uh, I don't think you're cut out for this job. And I, I don't think... There, there's no when it and when um, Reggie is the one that triggers this like secondary feature to it. It really does a messy job of sucking everything in. Like the barrels are bouncing around everywhere, and it's just like you you already have like slave gnome Jawa things. Just make a line of four of them because this is a small room, and just have them chuck the barrels in there. You're yep. using them to kill people. I'm pretty sure they can do this. Or the tall uh, man could just like chuck through a couple every. Yeah. Every day, you know, it's like they, they, they can only kill so many people locally and frame it as sexy dagger suicides. Yeah, there's a lot of barrels in there yeah. and it's implied that they're all full. Well, and it's funny because at the same time, there's not a lot of barrels in there because they appear to be developing. They're sending engineered slave labor in barrels to another planet through some sort of manufactured teleportation device. But they're still just like supplying them. At what, maybe a few a day would be the reasonable throughput for a yeah. busy you know, funeral home in, in this specific small area. So that's a lot of work to go to just to get to some, some shitty, you know, dwarfified human corpses delivered. It, 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 the economics leave me really, really curious. Because what the brief shot we get of the planet, and I got to say, this is one of my favorite things about the movie. I loved that this was just this bizarre twist to the whole thing. Is it turns it was out what's a really going good on. shot too? Yeah, they, they, we we get uh, I mean, we get the kind of shitty shot of Mikey following, falling, but not falling through the air down onto this planet because, unbeknownst to us, Jody had immediately grabbed his belt and then dangled him there for fifteen <laughs> seconds. But uh, anyway, setting aside how that didn't make any fucking sense, maybe times different there. I don't know, um, Mike. Mike gets this view, and yeah, we see this really just saturated red sky over a desert landscape with a line of Jawas marching off to the horizon and manhandling some some barrels, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 like all of a sudden this is part of this film. All of a sudden, there's teleportation to another planet that's mysterious and desolate and terrible looking. And that's why all this is happening. And now let's go back and never look at it again. So it's just like the briefest of sort of like, what the fuck just happened moments late in the film. And then they just walk away from it. Uh, and we don't get to see any more of it. We don't get a third act that takes place on the planet, anything like that. Just this tiny little glimpse. And actually I really, I love that about the movie. I love that. It was just this, you know, it was, it was almost a Lovecraftian moment of like, you know, yeah. 50,000 words of turgid prose and like a line of description of some terrible, unknoble thing. And then back to, you know, their 10,000 turgid lines yeah, of code was, or whatever. It was, yeah, it was one of those things that like, again, like the, the economy of the film where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Costarelli was just like, well, I mean, people are probably going to want to see like at least something of where these clearly alien things come from so let's give them a shot and be like there did that explain anything no okay then but still enormous enormously yeah, better than just having characters actually say yeah. well i've deduced they must come from another planet you know it's like that that's the the cheaper simpler version that would have happened in any number of like you know shitty b movies 
uh, from the 50s. But the, the fact that they threw it in there, that the fact that they did the shot, I do really appreciate that that was there because yeah. it added a lot to me. It made me sort of excited for what they were trying to do and the ambitions, even if I have my quibbles about what they specifically accomplished in the film. If you don't uh, follow the Tumblr, last night I actually posted like an animated uh, GIF made from that shot to the Tumblr. So if you're listening to this, you could, you could pull it up because it's over there. Um, there was uh, during the intro with uh, just speaking of Alien, during the intro where like Angus Scrim was just talking about the movie. Angus Scrim plays the tall man. I mentioned, I must have mentioned yeah. that. Um, he was just like, you know, uh, Don Australia approached me and he said I was going to play an alien. And I thought, well, what kind of alien? An Italian and no, no, it's like an Irishman, an Italian, maybe a Chinaman. I'd have to master the accent. Maybe my first few lines would be in another language. And then he like, you know, says sentences in three different languages. And he's just like, and he's like, well, no. Then he told me that it was like an alien from another dimension. I was just like, did you, did, was that term really that unclear back in 1976 or so? Well, Angus um, Graham is famously a huge racist. So, you know, <laughs> just incredibly xenophobic. He, uh... <laughs> Uh, he's oh, not he's really. John as far as I know. Is he? Yeah, he plays. Uh, he plays the priest. Excellent. Yeah. Um, there's a. Uh, there's one thing that this movie did that I really appreciated, which was um, when they discover that. Uh, so there's a there's an entire chase sequence. Well, there's a couple of chase sequences, but there's one chase sequence when. Um, so Jody is escaping from Morningside after having broken into it for like the fifth time. This is an incredibly easy cemetery to get into. Like the fence seems to be made out of a ladder. Yeah, I think like uh, by the third time he was sneaking into it, I was like, why are you even, no one is going to stop you. They won't stop you in broad daylight. They certainly aren't going to stop you at night, you know? Leave the door unlocked Just, yeah. or something. Um, and so he's escaping out of there. And then, like, these headlights turn on and they, you know, a car, like, barrels towards him. And he whips out his gun without even looking at it and just starts firing at this car. And then I think he has to, like, dodge out of the way. And then the exact same hip thing happens, except this time it's Mike in their, uh, in the, in, in, in their like, muscle car. And, you know, this time he actually bothers to look at who's, who's driving. Um, but it turns out that there's no driver in that car, which was difficult because you could clearly see a driver in that car. But I, I you know, I, you know, I was just like, all right, that's, you know, I, it's really hard to make that kind of scene. So I'll give them that. Um, and so there's this entire chase sequence where um, Mike, who is 13, is driving this car while Jody is peeking out of the, the sunroof with a shotgun firing at that hearse that's chasing at them. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just like, it's like, you know, it's, and, then, and then he's like shouting commands to Mike. He's just like, it's like, all right, now slow down, get him like, you know, you know, make him ride our ass. And then, you know, he does that. And then he's just like, all right, now speed up. Cause I'm going to put a couple in the, in the, in the, uh, what is it? In, in the, the engine uh, in block. The engine block. Yeah. And he does. And apparently like a, I mean, that, that must've been like what, 20 feet away with like a 20 foot away shot with a shotgun apparently destroys this car's entire bl engine block. But um, yeah, that entire scene was was just hilarious. And there's this really '70s cop music playing throughout the whole thing. <laughs> like, there's there's so many different kinds of soundtracks in this movie. And that scene specifically had like your '70s like you know car chase uh, sound. And uh, everybody's really excited. Like, it's not supposed to be like a tense, scary scene at all. It's supposed to be like a a tense like thriller, like action thriller scene. And um, Jody's really excited about it. after he nails him. He's just like, all right, I got him. Um, yeah, there were a number there of things some. with that Hearst situation. There's a couple others I want to mention too. Uh, first of all, when 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 the Hearst first uh, 
tries to uh, mow down Jody on the way out of the, the, the graveyard, I guess it was, uh, Jody just straight up points a gun. I think this was Jody. I, it might have been. Anyway, somebody, one of these two brothers who have guns and uh, like to shoot things with them, just straight up tries to shoot the unseen driver of the hearse. Now, if someone's driving at you at night and it seems like they're trying to hit you, I think you are totally in your rights to think that this is bad and try and avoid it. But I'm not totally convinced that that's level of weapon and fire territory yet. <laughs> Uh, but hey, it's the hearse at the freaky funeral home. So I guess, you know, at that point they've decided things are out of line. And but, you know, those aren't warning shots because warning shots are bullshit. <laughs> seriously. But, uh, but then there's also a scene later on where uh, Mike is inside the hearse. Like he's been, he's been trapped inside the hearse by uh, the tall man, I think, threw him in there and then drove off with him or something. I don't, this is, this is how confusing the film was to watch at a first go, especially while, uh, slightly drowsy. That didn't help with my comprehension. Uh, but but Mike's in the back of the hearse, and he manages to uh, get out of the hearse by using his handgun that he has on him yes. to blow out the window. Uh, so he blows out the back window, and then he fires down at the outer wheel well, I guess, through the internal you know floor, of the, and managed to like pop a tire and knock off a fender or something. Uh, and then he, and then he jumps out, uh, and the hearse ends up exploding. And, and, <laughs> and, and this is again, this like this is the, totally this film in a nutshell. It's this sort of sort of clever, daring, uh, creative situation, and the whole thing is like an exciting idea on paper. But there's so many problems with it. One of which is he jumps out of the back of this hearse, barreling down the road at like 40, 50 miles an hour, and he just lands pat. Like he doesn't land. Yeah, he doesn't roll. even roll. You can't. No, I'm sorry, kid. You don't have those kind of legs. You did not just jump immediately into that sort of speed. So, yeah, that's silly. Uh, we could talk about how firing off a gun in an extremely enclosed space is basically a recipe for hearing loss, but uh, there's a lot of problems in this film and in basically everywhere that there's guns with that. No one ever has time to put on ear protection in you know situations where they start shooting. Uh, but still, is it, I think is it Broken Arrow that has like a gunfight inside the cockpit of a jet? <laughs> God, maybe I haven't seen that in forever. I don't. Uh, I don't remember thinking much of it at the time. So, <laughs> also, but he jumps out of the hearse, and then he's laying on the ground and he's watching, and he has got a perfect profile view of the hearse, then running into something and super exploding. Yeah. And the thing is, he jumped out of the hearse while it was driving away from him. So unless the hearse then immediately pulled a hard right and then and then decided to drive out of control into something explode that way, there's no way the shot we get is the perspective shot he would have, and yet that's the way it's cut in the film, which is... <sighs> yeah. Hey, at least we got to see a car explode. Yeah, which I'll give you that. You blow up a car, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of okay. Yeah. Um, the scene okay there's um so there's a scene where um what's his name uh, uh mike breaks uh, no i'm sorry jody breaks into the basement actually after mike uh so the window's still unfixed but the broken glass is still everywhere so i hope he told him about that 
Um, and then, you know, he's, he's in the basement of the mausoleum and he's attacked by one of these Jawa things. And so I'm pretty sure the entire effect is done by them having like a small dummy in a Jawa costume and like tying it to him and then just tell him it's like, all right, now thrash around like, you know, he's gotcha. Um, and so there's a point where he pulls as he's being attacked by the Jawa, he pulls like the Colt out of his, um, you know, out of his pants in the back, cocks it and then literally aims the gun at his head at arm's length fires and it knocks the jaw off yes this manages to be the most amazing of all the amazing gun scenes in this film and i was i i just fucking lost it why was like you are you've got to be fucking kidding me you're just gonna fire blindly in the direction of your head with a pistol while flailing around because that's the best like like you know it's like find the thing's head with one hand and take the gun with the other and put it against it or something you know like at least Oh, Jesus Christ. It was, yeah. All the gun safety in this movie ruined by that one scene. (laughs) Otherwise, otherwise doting gun safety in this film. I, you know, what would make me happy is if that scene had turned out to be the setup for the actual, like I would have been so much more okay. This was all just a dream. If it had turned out, what happened is that Jody had (laughs) shot himself and Reggie's like, man, I'm so sorry. I don't know why he did it, but you know, he just, he, he, he didn't, he didn't, help you murder a guy in a mine shaft he he blew his head off man you know he he shot himself and we'll never know why but you know let's go on a road trip i would have been if they built it all around that i would have been completely satisfied i would have had no complaints yeah the cops found another body next to him holding a gun also <laughs> dead it was a suicide they're pretty sure it was a double suicide um <laughs> morningside police <laughs> on the case there's a there's 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 some amazing I want to say some amazing physical physical comedy in this film. There that, is that most of it I don't think was intended to be physical comedy. It was I mean they may have sort of known that it was fun at the time, but there were. If we're thinking about the same scenes, I can't imagine that they shot those scenes not knowing that they would be funny at least in some way. Yeah, like I I can't imagine they shot any of like the physical like the 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 scene where like people are flailing around and throwing shit around without thinking that yeah this is probably going to be funny. I uh, I really have to wonder like the where their line is there versus mine though because I looked at these and these were these were hilarious in a you are not accomplishing what you were probably totally trying to accomplish sort of way thing here not not just like oh it's a little bit funny but also really effective more like it's a little too funny to be effective you know it was like because yeah the scene I'm thinking of particularly the 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 acme of this in the film it's not the only one but it's the most notable and the lengthiest uh Mike manages to cut off some of the tall man's fingers and this is outside of the deleted scene where the tall man gets hit with a, by the fire extinguisher and explodes into yellow goop. This is the main thing where we see yellow goopiness in the film. Mike cuts off the guy's fingers and they fall to the ground in a bunch of mustardy yellow blood and they keep twitching and he takes one home. He puts he, he, he sticks one in his pocket and gets out of there and he takes it home and he puts it in a box and they're sort of looking at it and saying, oh man, okay, well, let's take this to the police because this is some evidence that something weird is going on. So I've got this finger in this box and then Mike goes back to uh, look at it again upstairs shortly thereafter, right before they go to the police station in theory. And he's like, what the heck? Because the box isn't moving, which is kind of a weird thing to say, what the heck? Because the box isn't moving. But anyway, he opens you, it up. I gingerly. suspect it's because uh, Mike built that box. <laughs> so he opens it up. He opens it up and and out comes some weird furry pupated monster thing, like some like thing with a head the size of a golf ball and a couple more golf balls worth of body, I'd guess is the size. And it jumps on his hair and then they 
and, and he's like, holy shit, and he gets it off him, and he wraps it up in a shirt, or, or maybe Jody runs up there and wraps it up in a shirt, and, and then they proceed down the stairs with it, and they're trying to sell the idea that this thing is like really kicking around and really full of energy and really trying to get away, and so what it's actually going on is just an actor holding a shirt balled up <laughs> and then just thrusting their arms around and bouncing back and forth to either side of the, uh, the, the hallway on the way down the stairs and just like... And it's like it's this is some Kramer level shit. It's just like yeah. it's you know sort of gesticulating it, it, with this fake monster, and it goes on for it, like a minute. It does. It it does go on for a while. It's it's the same school of like uh, special effects. Is all right. We're gonna tilt the camera to the left. Everybody run right. <laughs> now we're gonna tilt the camera to the right. Everybody run left. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, I can't imagine they shot that without without realizing how hilarious it is. Because, I mean, he's just, like, really thrashing around, and, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that scene was pretty funny. Uh, there was another, there was another uh, physical comedy scene, though, and I'm having a lot of trouble recalling it now. It was, um, yeah, no, I'm totally spacing on it, so. There was, Sorry, the, uh, th- th- there was the scene uh, with uh, the VW there was elements of this again. There was a lot of sort of flailing that just looked like, okay, everybody bounce around as much as you can. That'll sell the terror. Uh, it's much shorter lived. And then he, and, and then Mike once again escapes out the back of a window of a moving vehicle. Um, and he might've sort of rolled that time a little bit. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly how that played. And he out. knows how to roll because in like, in one of the very first scenes in the movie, he, uh, he takes a, he, he takes a fall off of his uh, motorbike as he's tooling around the cemetery grounds. Um, and, and he falls and he rolls and I'm pretty sure that's the actor and not a stunt double. Um, which is pretty funny because it's like, all right, you're, you're, you're 13. We, do we have insurance? No. All right. Well, anyway, you got to take, <laughs> take a roll off your bike. Um, so try your best. Don't roll into any gravestones because they're made of rock. Um, Let's talk yeah. briefly about the uh, – I, I, I want to come back to the, uh, the room and the portal and the visit briefly to the red skied planet with a stronger gravity. Cause what happens there? And th- th- this is sort of some bullshit storytelling. Uh, after one of my favorite shots in the, in the film, they followed up with like really dumb exposition, but uh, the whole scene is a little bit weird. They Jody pulls Mike back through the portal. He falls down on the ground and then, then Reggie in particular, Jody too, but Reggie in particular just starts patting him like crazy and it's really not clear why he's um, covered in some sort of like white powder. Well, I think I think it was supposed to be a little bit smoky. Like he was supposed to be. Yeah. So here's the thing: the, the 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 gravity on the planet is super strong, which is why they need the dwarves, and uh, and it's also hot. But we only know this because the line and the heat that 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 Mike says as he's laying there, having this revelation about what he's just seen. So apparently it's very hot there to the point where maybe you would almost catch on fire just being there for 15 seconds. Uh, like, I don't know, going down to Venus or whatever. Uh, although I think you just get crushed on Venus before you get a chance to catch on fire. I don't remember. It's been a while, uh, since I've been to Venus, it's, it's been a while. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so he's smoking, and so Reggie apparently can tell that he's needs to be padded out because he's not on fire, but he could be. Before yeah. he mentions that it's hot there, and that's all the information we get about it being hot there. 
but it's Reggie's just really whacking the hell out of him for like five <laughs> seconds there when there's no actual fire. And it was just a really odd little moment. That whole thing flowed together poorly and, and Mike's just having his revelatory, no, I get it now, man. I, I understand, sort of. Anyway, that was a thing. There's, um, Reggie has a lot of odd scenes in this where his motivation is put into question, where the, the scene where they're trying to figure out what to do, and he's just like, we're going to get that guy. They're talking about Tommy. He's like, we're going to get that guy, and we're going to beat the shit out of him until he tells us you know, what, what, he, what, what we need to know. And it just comes out of nowhere, too, which, which was the great part, because otherwise, he's just kind of like this goofy sort of guy, and then he's just like, you know, apparently he's got this like, you know, killer instinct in the back of him, uh, probably in that ponytail. Yep. I, I, I really was wondering at some point. Stomp the shit out of it. That's the, those are his words. Stomp the shit out of it. And that's when uh, Mike replies, man, that mother's strong. <laughs> there was, uh, there was, there was a, the point where Reggie reappears uh, in the mausoleum right before they go into the room that's the portal to the other dimension with all the kegs and the twin cylinders, uh, where I kind of was wondering if we were supposed to think that Reggie had been replaced by some sort of tall man doppelganger. Cause like his motivations were, he was really calm. Uh, he sort of showed up out of nowhere and they're like, Hey, did you find the girls? Oh yeah, I found them. Were they? No, no, they, they, they were fine. I just let them out a window and they ran off like uh, scared chickens. Um, so it's possible yeah. that, that other mysterious girl was one of the other ones that he mentioned finding there. But at, I'm like, that's really weird and convenient. Are we sure this is not like a villain pretending to be Reggie? But it turns out, no, it actually just was Reggie, I guess. But maybe you could make an argument that Reggie is actually totally in on all of this stuff. Because note who dies at the very end, or presumably dies, or at least gets hauled off. It's Mike, not Reggie. Reggie is unaffected by that situation. He's still just downstairs playing his fucking guitar. And this is a guy who owns an ice cream shop in town, and he seems to be able to find his way around the mausoleum real well. I think maybe he was actually in cahoots. I think maybe yeah. he is sort of like assistant tall man. Because Tallman uh, has assistance. He has that guy that died that was never explained. Yeah, why yeah, random fishing hat janitor dude who just yeah got killed by the the orb. We got to talk about the orb a little bit more too. But mm -hmm. anyway, oh heck, for that matter, the orb, the silvery orb. Reggie's got this whole baldness thing going on. It's like a metaphor for ah. the orb. He's 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 an apprentice orb. Eventually, he'll be able to become a full fledged orb. But for now, he's just running around with a chrome dome. I think this is it. I think this is what's going on. Reggie is the secret heart of this film. He's the secret uh, backstabbing uh, human associate with the tall man and the people from another mm. dimension. Yeah, I, I could see it's like a whole uh, Kaiser Soze thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? Um, there was... Uh I, I have this theory, and, and this theory sort of holds. I, I came up with this when I, well, I came up with this. I probably <laughs> stole this from somebody who mentioned it to me um, about uh, Prometheus, where it's like, you know, why Still are all these scientists it. and Still people. Well, I mean, I, I think you can imagine what happens in the film Prometheus, the, the unofficial prequel to Alien. Do, do, does everybody die? Hmm. Maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's all of these people who are supposed to be professionals just doing a really shit job of being professionals. And I and it was, it's because, um, you know, who else is going to take like a several year trip to another planet that might not even yield anything? It's going to be the guys that can't get any other work. I suspect that the people that are harvesting these things on Earth are the same thing. They're just like the cream of the crap. You 
know, it's like, it's like, all right, you've got like two years until retirement. You seem to have some sort of mental issues. We're going to put you on earth. We're going to put you in this mausoleum. The bodies are going to come to you. Just make sure they get from point A to point B. Just That's roll it. them you out the door. Kill a couple anybody. Times a day. Whatever exactly. you do, don't let them stack up. I never want to come by and find like 40 in that room. There's no reason for it. It's a pain in the ass when you get them down there because then they have to sort them and they're idiots. And so I, th- I think that that's like my theory behind all of it, um, especially because there's a scene where uh, this is when Mike first breaks into the uh, mausoleum. He hi- he's, he's hanging around like the coffin room. Um, and so he hides in one of the coffins. It's actually another like one of his like little secret agent things. He uses his like pocket lighter to uh, keep the lid on the coffin slightly open so he can see through it. Um, and so this guy comes in. He's, it's, I don't know if it's, you're supposed to think it's the tall man or not because he's a lot bigger and he's dressed differently. And then he's just like walking around the dark coffin room and he walks like right up to Mike's coffin. And the tall man pops up in the back and he's like, or, or, maybe, I don't even know if he says anything, but the guy is clearly like a subordinate. So he turns around and just goes with the tall man somewhere. I'm just like, he clearly knew something was fishy. He couldn't have been like, give me literally two seconds to pop open this thing to see if there's something in here. But no, he just goes go, goes away, and and you know I I have a theory that they all of the shitty guys that don't know how to do this job they send to Earth. I I, I can and, buy it. I can buy it. And, and Reggie, maybe they 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 picked him to watch over them, and be like, oh, you're a successful business owner. Um, hey, can you can you make sure these bodies get from point A to point B? They're not supposed to kill anybody. I just want to make that clear. They're just using <laughs> bodies that are already dead. And this whole movie is just about the tall man going rogue. <laughs> It's like, ah, I'll get it in my report. It'll be fine. Every time he says, boy, we, we're, we're fooled into thinking that he's saying, you there, boy, young human boy who I'm menacing. But he's actually just thinking about, boy, I, I really got to get that TPS report filed. And he's just, he's distractible. He's wandering around thinking and like, oh, shoot, that's boy, oh, boy, that's a problem. I, I, I suspect one part of this is just going to be like all of those canisters turn up down in the US open and be like, these are all dead and covered in sores. What are they doing? <laughs> maybe, maybe the economics of this, maybe humans are really, really valuable. Like, like, like they're, they're, they're really, really valuable as a poorly understood uh, rare resource. And wormholes are easy to set up if you're willing to accept a certain amount of fudge, but not so easy to set up if you want to get like really specific and like say, let's not have it 30 feet off the ground or whatever. So, so this is what happened. This, this thing on earth is, is just one of a number of funeral homes on earth where they managed to hook up some sort of broadcasting device to hook up to a wormhole somewhere on their planet. And they only need like three or four Jawas at any given time to be functioning Maybe they power some sort of amazing machine that uh, keeps the planet from exploding or whatever. Uh, but the only thing that works is humans, and they have to be in dwarf uh, format, obviously, because whatever. Uh, so they've got a number of these outposts, and we see the line of Jawas marching off into the horizon, which seems crazy if you think about it. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't they have a better receiving area here? But maybe that's like... Humans are a super valuable resource, and they've got no other resources. So they just they, they make sure they're getting enough Jawas coming through that at any given time, there's three or four ready to go, and they can burn through those in a few days and then slot in the next ones. And in the meantime, all those Jawas do is march along the horizon for like 400 miles because it's actually less expensive resource-wise to have them do that than it is to come up with some more convenient placement or to run any sort of vehicle. Maybe they don't have any fossil fuels on that planet anymore. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm trying to find a way to make this work as like an economic thing where it's just, it's stupid, but it's the least stupid thing they had. Uh, I'm not sure I'm really convincing myself though. <laughs> um, it could turn in a completely different direction. You said that they, they, there was a bunch of Dos Equis bottles in this movie. Yes. So there's a scene when, uh, this is during the gun education scene where Mike like pulls out, he's just like, pulls out his hand again. He's just like army issue Colt chrome plated. If it, if it's up, Colt can put it down. And if you told me this movie was brought to you by Dos Equis and Colt handguns, <laughs> I would not be surprised in the least. Remember, drink responsibly. Uh, Jeez, yeah, it's 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 a weird movie. Basically, I think is what we're coming away from here. This is kind of a kind of odd as movies go. It's a yeah. weirdish film. Let's see. There was a couple other little things I don't remember. Oh, okay. The, so the silver ball. The silver ball. Uh, we talked about this briefly at the beginning, and it it seems like it really has become the like icon as far as like because this is the thing that I recognized, even though I have definitely never seen this film. As far as I know, I've never seen any sequels, but the silver ball thing I recognize as something that was probably just on enough cover art in the video store that, uh, I was like, Oh yeah, I know that thing. And, uh, we don't actually see a whole lot of it in this film. Kind of like you don't see a whole lot of pinhead in, uh, the original Hellraiser. Like, you know, he's, he shows up only very briefly at the beginning and then really late in the film. Right. And this Mm -hmm. thing, the same thing, the silver ball, we see like two, maybe three times in the film uh, and it's zipping around in it's clever uh, cheap production uh, tricks. And, and then, and then it finally attacks, it goes to attack Mike, I think it is. And then he manages to duck and it kills the mysterious janitor underling dude who we've been talking about, who we don't know who he is. Um, and it's funny cause it's like a silver ball, like four inches in diameter or something like that. And it's, it's like baseball size, maybe a little bigger. I would say like softball, I think. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Bigger. Softball. Yeah. Um, but it's worrying along and it, it's got a couple slots out of the front of which come a couple of like nasty looking harpoon blade type things. Uh, and then it flies at this guy's face and in a sort of hilarious doinking, it's flying towards his face. <laughs> and then we get a shot uh, of his face and the ball, you know, ball receding into his face and it's just, thunk, it just sort of sticks there without much noise. And the implication is this thing is just sort of, planted itself in his 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 skull but then when we get an actual close-up side shot of what happens next the harpoons are sort of like bent off to the side like it's like they're tweezing his skull instead of which seemed really dumb to me because like "Eh, you've got these nice they should just go right in that forehead there right and then it sticks out a drill thing and drills into like the bridge of his nose and then starts gouting blood out the, the cloaca in the back of it, uh, which was again, sort of like simultaneously cool and hilarious. Like this is really roundabout way of killing somebody. This is a really weird piece of machinery here. And, I mean, it, the, the way it kills him is apparently it drains the blood out of his body with some sort of, like, vacuum action and then just spits it out the back of it. And at no point in this movie do they collect blood, do they need anything to do with blood. And, and as far as know, I know, that's the guy probably who cleans up the blood. So now you got a real yeah. problem because the janitor yeah. just, you know, got killed. The human janitor. So the – because um, Tall Man's blood is yellow. The the, the things, the uh, the dwarves that, that he makes, their blood is yellow. But this guy's blood was red. Yeah. Yeah. His urine was yellow, though. Yeah, so I, and that I urine say, almost yeah. got this movie an X rating. Really? 
yeah really? after he dies um yeah so there's the, so the thing drains you know drains him of, a, of his blood and he drops and there's this scene where you know like you see his legs coming out the side of the frame and jody is um i mean not jody mike is just like crouching in the shadows with you know like and he gets his knife out his giant ass knife and you see this like liquid just spill out a little you know around um and I was just like, I don't know what that is. It was just like, was that supposed to be like that that yellow blood, but diluted a bit or something? No, it turns out like the guy was supposed to have peed himself. And because of that, the movie almost got an X rating. And then some big time like movie reviewer had to call in a favor and get this movie an R rating. Wow. Because, yeah, no, I, I looked at it and yeah, I, I had sort of the same. So I was like, is that some sort of, oh, no, he's probably just pissing himself. Oh, okay. So yeah. He's just having a nice posthumous uh, pants pissing. Uh and there's uh, there's actually a really funny scene right after that where like Mike comes out of the shadows after having defeated like the assistant guy, and uh, so does the tall man. And there's there's like sort of a face off where Mike's got his knife and the tall man's just standing there. And Mike just looks at him. He's just like, um, oh shit. <laughs> and then he just like uh, advances on him, being like, and this is that the kid's reaction to like you know being in these circumstances. He's just like, well, looks like it's a knife fight. Uh, but then he, then he, when when they get like really close to each other, he he bolts. And there's actually like a great, um, there's a great like a musical swell, and I think it's just like drums um, as he goes. And then there's a chase scene that's done in that like kind of weird uh, keyframey slow motion thing that they that, that they do uh, in movies like back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, and you know what? There's another scene. The scene where uh, Jody is wrestling, like with, with like that that caterpillar finger thing going down the stairs. Um, there's a bunch of music going on, but and he's thrashing around, and there's like you know foley effects from that. But there's also a drum solo going on. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> During the, and it cuts out like before the thrashing sound effects cut out, so it doesn't like end with the drum solo. It's just there, and you you have to be like you you have to actually listen for it because it doesn't match the rest of the music. The rest of the music is like kind of synthy, and then there's the sound effects, which is just crashing shit. And then there's just like somebody like playing on some drums just to add that little extra touch of like you know thrashing around. And yeah. I, I thought that was that was pretty great. There's um. Oh, so the musical number, there's, uh, uh, you know, we covered this a little before, there's, you know, um, Jody's just hanging out wearing one of, like, the two shirts he owns. Uh, you can actually tell which scenes in this movie were shot on which days, because, like, clothing <laughs> keeps popping up, uh, even though scenes are supposed to take place on different days. And so, you know, um, anyway, so he's, like, you know, playing in his, on his uh, porch, um, he's, he's playing his uh, electric guitar and then, you know, Reggie pops by and Reggie gets out his acoustic guitar and they play this like really, um, I don't know what band would you say that song sounds like? Um, it's, it's just like a very seventies kind of rock. Like you got a little bit of the blues in there and it's, it doesn't really have an edge at all to it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's real sort of, sort of weenie mid tempo, uh, I don't, I don't know who to put it on, but yeah, it, it, it could be sort of like a, a, a bad day for Hollow Notes writing a ballad. Uh, yeah, and then it sort like, of transitions into a little bit of a prog rocky sort of arrangement. Yeah, and, and, and this is, this is why I'm really, really glad for, for punk and heavy metal because from like 1980 on, whenever you needed a scene where like, you know, two bros are just hanging out playing guitar, it always ends up being punk or metal because that's just like, well, you know, it's like, you know, they're guys and they're not professionals. So what are, what are they going to play? They're going to play punk rock. And I'm just really glad that exists because we no longer have to hear like dudes <laughs> like noodling, uh, noodling this kind of stuff in movies anymore. Um, 
So yeah, I was glad for that because that musical interlude was was a bit was a bit much. Yeah, and, and there was that, and there were a couple other small ones uh, in the film. I, I like that Reggie's sitting playing his guitar right at the end after the big "It was mm-hmm. all just a dream" thing. And he picks, and he's like, "Let's go on a road trip. Go pack your stuff." And he picks up his acoustic guitar and he starts playing it but the film at this point it's almost like the film has lost patience with Reggie and his fucking guitar because the soundtrack just keeps going anyway and it clashes completely Uh, and, yes. and then and we get upstairs and 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 Mike's up there and the soundtrack sort of comes up too even as the acoustic guitar is still on there and I I realize they're they're amping up the soundtrack because they're about to do the big sting for the the end of the movie with the oh my god the tall man but I like to think that it was just the film saying seriously Reggie shut the fuck up just stop when I'm doing a thing it's a scene you're being that guy with the guitar again there was a. Like I mentioned in the deleted scene, there's there's more guitar playing. Jody plays some more guitar in his shitty hat. There's Reggie with his guitar in his Reggie's ice cream shop. Um, and, and there's right after they finish playing, you know, they do their little like uh, both like strumming the guitar real hard, like to finish the song off kind of thing. And then Reggie says, it's like, yeah, man, well, we're we're hot as love. And I can't figure out if that's 70s slang. I don't know. Or if they're pretending to be on stage and that's their band name. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. Because it's implied they were in a band. Um, because during that first conversation, like at the funeral, uh, either Reggie or, or Jody says, man, it's a hell of a way to break up the trio. Yep. And so maybe he was the drummer? I, I'm going to assume that Tommy was the drummer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tommy. That's okay. What, that's, yeah. that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how dare you not communicate the proper referent of the pronoun through intonation by reading my mind about my preferences yeah. there about. So there's there's a couple of things what uh, that so uh, women in this movie are props, uh, short of like the uh, the scene cribbed right out of Frank Herbert. Um, just just the, the the women in this movie like serve almost entirely like at, at like the the purpose of, of props and to maybe get in the way a little bit. It's it, it was kind of weird and just you know between between that and a bunch of other things, it's like it's this is really so clearly a movie made in 1977 by a 25 year old guy in 1977. Um, and and yeah, that was I, I was going somewhere with that. But now <laughs> I that's good enough. That's, yeah, uh, I would say that's uh, yeah that 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 does kind of hit the nail on the head there. Oh, I wanted I wanted to say because you reminded me of the old lady and the Bene Gesserit shit with put your hand in the box. Not not only not only do they have that scene, but they keep calling back to it because like she teaches him essentially a shitty. You know what that scene is like? The old lady, the fortune teller in the box, and then and then uh, Mikey as Paul Atreides essentially. Uh, put your hand in the box and it hurts in there and blah, 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 blah. And then she's all in your mind. Don't be afraid. It's like, it's like they had the casts, the, 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 the two people in that scene read that scene from Dune mm-hmm. late at night while drunk one night. And then just, they're like, okay, remember the thing we did last week? Okay, let's, let's, uh, I want you to act that. And then they just had to improvise it based on these very shaky memories of what the hell happened in there while they were drunk. And that's how we got that scene. Cause it's so fucking spot on. Like you say, it's, it's, it's just, it's lifted while at the same time missing all of the notes. Also, I want to say, you know what? Maybe fear is the killer. Is the, is the line? Yeah, because fear I, is the... I, I'm wondering if they did that to just like avoid any sort of a thing with the with with Frank Herbert, or if she just could not remember the entirety of the line. <laughs> Seriously, it's like it, it gives him that shitty bargain basement litany against fear, and it's like, yeah, and, and he and he several times later in the movie, he's like, I I I 
I must not fear or I, uh, fe- yeah. you know, yeah, some little shitty back reference to it. And uh, I, my theory, by the way, what's in the box in this case, uh, it's a tiny portal to the other planet because hmm. it's uncomfortable. It's hot. It's painful. It's like it's it's a tiny it's a it's a like that's how they just like send email. Wait, but that but so when she says the pain is all in your mind, that's because the other dimension is also in his mind because this whole movie is you know one big dream. Exactly. So who is that exactly? Is that his subconscious telling him that he's asleep? I think so. I think so. Let's let's say so. That's 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 feeling pretty good too. We've really we've really done a lot of good work on this. I want to say. Also, speaking of Dune, though. Speaking of Dune and Jawas, the, the, the filmmakers don't mention Frank Herbert at all in the deleted scene stuff that I've seen so far, but they did, like I said, have that guy talking about how the Jawa thing was a total coincidence, mm-hmm. and they basically started at the same time. But the name of the bar, the name the, of the bar, the Dune's, Dune's Cantina, Cantina. is basically the Star Wars and Dune bar. You know, it's... Uh, uh, hmm. Hmm. Yep. There was actually yeah. another thing. The, uh, the orb... Um, there's there's a first person shot of the orb and it's seeing everything in like red. <laughs> it's very predator. And yeah, it's predator, but it's also it's it's the uh, the hunter seekers that try to kill oh. Uh, Paul. Oh, because it travels, you know, it travels in that same sort of like methodical way while floating, and like not in a particularly like aerodynamic way, but like it's you know powered by something. Yeah. And oh yeah, my and god, it, the the weird planet. It's Arrakis. It's a uh, desert planet. Oh my gosh! The the red is not because the sky is actually red; it's because of a constant sandstorms. They're out in the, they're out in the far desert. Those are Jawas. They're Jawa Fremen. They're Jawa <laughs> Fremen. I think. I think. Oh my gosh! There we go. There we go. This this was this was Dune the film. Just you know, <laughs> you know. Early on, it actually I was watching that boxing, and I didn't end up writing this in my notes, uh, or I would have run this out sooner. But I was going to say, you know, basically, I was thinking making a joke like. People gave David Lynch a lot of shit for his adaptation of Dune, but really it was it was surprisingly coherent uh, compared to yes. At, at one point, there's a scene where they shoot at uh, oh the the fire extinguisher, the deleted scene fire extinguisher scene where they blow up the the tall man before they get around to blowing up. Jody tries to shoot him like several times with a shotgun, and he doesn't even flinch, which could be sort of like you know the. The the fire extinguisher is their take on the slow blade penetrates a shield because ah. yeah your projectiles would do nothing because he's wearing a personal shield. Hmm. I kind of wish we like Reggie is Gurney Halleck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, got the the, the set. Yes, the ballast set. Oh my gosh, we've cracked this movie wide open and also balls full so. of sand. <laughs> um, oh, I just want to mention the. Um, the Mike, uh, no, Jody's girlfriend, the and, and her sister, you know, the the two worst babysitters. So what what happens is that Mike, I mean, uh, Jody once again goes to hunt the tall man, and he's just like, you're, uh, he tells, he turns to Reggie, he's like, Reggie, you know, you got to take him to the antique store. You know, he won't be bored in there. He definitely won't try to break out of there. That that'll keep him <laughs> occupied. The antique store, and so he shows up there, and he's wandering around this terrifying antique store. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the girls calls out, she's like, you know, when you're sleepy, we made a bed for you. And just like, all right, so you're just going to let this kid run around unattended in your store. It's like, okay. And then eventually he realizes something. He's just like, I need to go home right now. Take me home right now. And I, I don't think like, I, I doubt Jody explained anything because he doesn't seem like to be that kind of guy. And people like, Hey, can you watch my brother piece? Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're taking him home and there's a, uh, there's the, uh, Reggie's ice cream truck overturned. 
and you know the, they stop and he's sitting in the back seat and you know he tells two sisters he's like stay in the car i'll go investigate they're like but 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 my uh, but mike and you know he keeps going and the lines are clearly 80 yard because i doubt he'd be able to hear it at that volume as they're talking inside the car they're just like be careful i'm just like this this is a 13 year old child you don't think maybe you should go there scoop him up and throw him back in the car <laughs> he's, just- he's not that big and he's just like you know jumping up onto the you know turned over car that you know for all they know could explode at any moment and peeking in there so yeah they're terrible terrible babysitters yep i'm not hiring them nope <laughs> Let's see. Um, Did I have yeah. anything else? Uh, I think we pretty much covered everything that it. I mean, we we didn't talk about this, but uh, as as I mentioned in the uh, rambling intro, because I'm I'm really feeling like I'm getting rambled down. Well, I thought I'd get more better at being like concise and non distractible, but I'm just rambling with more confidence at this point. Um, you were born a rambling man. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear uh, uh, Reggie and Jody tackle that one. I think they'd knock it out of the park. Um, the, the the silver ball as as it's kind of the closest thing we have to a Lamar Sean's box analog so far in. Uh, oh, is in like a in, uh, horror prop? films? Like yeah, like, like like this this distinct weird designed prop. The credits note that it was designed. Uh, it was constructed rather by Willard Green. So Willard Green, our our hats are off to you. Uh, but yeah, it's like the closest thing to this weird totemic designed device as thing. And I feel like we might be in the same situation with this versus the later Phantasm films where it feels very much like there was a sphere in this and then it was an antagonist and then they blew it up. But I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being back considering it seems to you know, be on the cover art of stuff. Um, so it might be one of those things where we go from there being this one thing that's menacing in its weird way to this being something that someone essentially manufactures, you know, or at least right. you know, produces in some workshop somewhere on Arrakis. Um, so I'm kind of curious to, I don't know how curious I am. Like, I don't know if I watch <laughs> the other moves curious, but, uh, but I'm idly curious at least about sort of where they go with the mythology of this film uh, as they turn it into a franchise. Right. Yeah, uh, I want to see the machine that shrinks people. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to know how that process works. Like, do they do they actually just put them in a machine that like does a shrinking process, or do they cure them? Do they physically squish them? Do they cut out segments of legs and arms to cut down their overall uh, span? Because yeah, it seems really yeah. I'm really not clear on how they'd end up with something. I useful. feel like I've read about the movies on Wikipedia, and the machine is in there somewhere. Because I remember something about crushing, but this was years ago, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll watch uh, those other uh, special features on the disc and, and yeah. see if there's anything more to learn oh. there. Yeah, there you but, go. Uh, but yeah, well, I don't know. I, I think I think that might have been the Phantasm original 1979. That right there. Yep. I think uh, I think we may have. We may have tackled it. Yeah, the the Phantasm one. Yep. <laughs> uh, Phantasm one, seventies guy zero. Uh, that's you know. There we go. Your hair won't save you now. That should have been their motto. Your hair can't save you. The <laughs> oh, the hair in this movie. Oh man, such hair. Well, uh, what's our standard rigmarole? I guess go check out. Uh, we've got the Facebook group. We've got the mm-hmm. Tumblr blog. You can check mm-hmm. those both out. Conversation on the Facebook group seems to be a thing that people do. Yep. Uh, go rate us and uh, review us if you're so inclined, maybe even on mm-hmm. uh, iTunes, because that helps with surfacing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you can yell at me on Twitter at Josh Millard, at uh, Yakov, at Griff, G-R-I-P-H. Those are both, and all these things are up at the top of the Tumblr blog, mm-hmm. too, if you go there. Yep. Uh, if you're like, I can't remember where that is. So just go to we have such films to show you.tumblr.com and uh, and uh, I think we're gonna we were talking about this uh, you're getting married I am getting married uh, and that's pretty soon so I think we're gonna we're gonna turn our fortnight into a fort and a half night uh, probably before the next episode and uh, come out three weeks from now uh, so you have time to uh, enjoy a honeymoon um, and then we're gonna yeah, be talking about prophecy two and three I think is what yeah. we decided did you? I, I think we're going to have to talk about how we're going to do that. Did you? You know, I think we got this thing down about two hours. Did you want to do one hour of one, one of the other, or because I, I can't imagine they're so thematically, you know, cohesive that we can talk about both of them as an entity. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious. I, I don't have a specific plan I, there. I'm curious to see. What I haven't happens. actually seen them yet. So yeah, I haven't rewatched them. Well, I, I've seen two. I never saw three. So uh, I'm excited about that. But uh, yeah, no, I think we'll just see what happens because I like the idea of doing these uh, duplex shows to reduce the amount of time physically it takes us to get through a, a, a film series but yeah. uh, i have no idea how it's going to run i think it'll be a it'll be an adventure it's what it'll be yep an adventure with paul atreides and duncan idaho yes <laughs> oh, we should watch the hidden sometime kyle mclaughlin the, the hidden oh 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 we'll watch that i can okay i can talk for like 20 minutes about having seen that as a kid uh it's it's not a great movie but it does have Kyle McLaughlin in it as an alien, which is pretty great. Uh, and it's got Claudia Christian in it as a hooker uh, and some other people and stuff. Maybe you but, could just uh, do the whole thing from memory. I, I can watch it and you can do it from memory and be like, it'd be like a special episode. We have such film to recollect uh, to you, kind of. Oh, man, that could be fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we could just do a whole a show where we recollect like four different movies in the space of an hour where we spend 15 minutes both vaguely trying to remember <laughs> things we liked uh, for each one. That sounds like a rollicking good time. Remember the Warlock Part 3 starring Julian Sands? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> that was the one that had a three in it, I think. Um, well, all right. I think I'm good. Are you good? Any, yep. Any parting thoughts? Uh, any parting thoughts? I need to get an armory like those guys have because Seriously, clearly right? it comes into use. Yeah, because that way you only die at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a week ago in a car accident, as it turns out. Or while shooting myself in the head. Maybe that's but what it's all the purpose. guns. That was part of, that was, that was part of Mike's uh, trying to imagine a situation in which Jody wouldn't have died and he mistakenly uh, perpetuates the, the notion that gun ownership will make you necessarily safer. And so he, he dreams, he dreams of a world in which he and Jody are just constantly armed because that, that'll keep them safe through the end. And, and then Jody <laughs> won't die in a car accident. If only he had a, a shotgun and a Colt on him. There we go. There we go. Okay. There you go. We figured it out. See you in three weeks with the uh, prophecy <laughs> two and three. Good night, everybody. 